can feel you over here You take up every corner of my mind What you gonna do now? Sandy Parlay Pete for short. That's Daniel Tracy, Daily Dan for short. Welcome back to the ASN podcast. We are on number 18. This, uh, Dan, this whole NFL season worth of weeks has gone by very fast. Uh, closing in on a quarter of a century years old already as a podcast. It's an exciting thing, but I'm super excited for this episode. We are recording on Tuesday. Monday. I keep thinking today's Tuesday for some reason. I don't know why I keep doing that. that would be nice, right? We're <laughs> time flies. We're recording on Monday at four o'clock. So just really sort of kind of before the Monday night football game. There's a lot to talk about in terms of NFL, but of course, as always, I would be remiss if I didn't ask my good friend Daily Dan how he was doing this past week. I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain. How are you? And of course, I think, I think you have more to talk about. You now you're, you're in your fifth different uh, recording. <laughs> well, I don't want to call it a studio, but fifth different recording location in the last five weeks. Yes, uh, probably next week it will be a different background, but it will be the same location because this is now my home. So I am recording in my actual bought home, which is uh, a very cool thing for me. Uh, you know, I, I'm a type of guy that doesn't get like emotional about anything really uh I, things things that are supposed to be big i'm just like oh, okay kind of cool so that's kind of how i'm feeling right now it's just like another an, another whatever milestone i guess if that's what you want to call it but this past week has been pretty hectic uh you know getting into the house essentially move it my girlfriend and i essentially moved in in like three days we really expedited the entire process got everything done for the most part been living here full time for about a week now it's it, it's it's Fun, honestly. I thought it was going to be a little bit more scary, and maybe that's because I don't, I haven't paid a mortgage payment yet, so maybe that's why it, it, it's not so scary yet. But uh, it, it it's awesome, and I, and I love it, and it, I'm glad that we made the next step in our life together. And uh, yeah, this is just really cool. But long story short, next week, hopefully, the actual background will, the permanent background will be ready. That's the one room in the house that's not ready yet. So. But I am in my permanent residence, I guess, if that's what you want to say. And and anybody who's listening and wants to see the backgrounds can go to our YouTube page. Yes. We've, got, we've been uploading some clips onto there from our different segments throughout the episodes. And you actually get a chance to see what we look like. And uh, more importantly, you get to see what's behind Pete. Yeah. I mean, if you guys actually want to look to my right, that I guess is your left. Uh, this is a map of the United States, but it's a we take a picture in every state that we've been to together. So it's pretty cool. Uh, there's some good ones on there. There's California, Arizona, Texas. That's the most recent one. Florida, and then basically everything in the Northeast. So we've been together for almost seven years now. We've been to, I think I counted the other day, I think it was 14 states. So we're off to a good start. I wanted to 
I want it to be to every single state together by the time we die. So, <laughs> so I think we're off to a pretty good start. <laughs> that map is dominated by Texas. That's a big state. Yeah, it's it's the only one that you could see. I'm in a suit. I'm actually I'm in a tuxedo in that picture. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that it's it's the front because that's what I look best in. It's the best clothing out of every picture. So I'm happy that that kind of dominates it. But it was a really cool gift. Obviously, my girlfriend got that for me, and it's like the centerpiece to our like big open space here. Besides for the humongous 65 inch TV, which was my purchase, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just a lot of fun, man. I'm I'm hoping one day you'll be sitting in my studio with me. We'll be able to finally record an episode together. That would be awesome. Um, but you know that day will come eventually. But I mean, Dan, let let's stop with the shenanigans. And this, let's get down to business here. We got stuff to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> the big weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know, obviously, the, the the centerpiece to our entire episode is usually the NFL recap, but a couple of things that we wanted to mention, uh, like Dan said, the start of college basketball, so that was really fun. That uh, you, Talk to me more, because I, I know you posted about it. Talk to me more about that. Was it an invitational? I know they always have a game like on an aircraft carrier or something. I, I, I don't really remember. Yeah, they played uh, Michigan State and Gonzaga played a game on an aircraft carrier in San Diego. Uh, it was actually the first time college basketball's had that since 2012 um, for a couple of reasons. And they're probably the reasons you'd expect. Uh, in 2011, 2012, they played, uh, I think, I think one game each season on an aircraft carrier, not these teams, but two other teams. Um, and the, the three-point numbers were pretty horrific because, of course, it's windy. There, yeah. There's wind. There, If you're on an aircraft carrier, you're on the water. So there was wind. Uh, and then they, they had a game canceled, I think, in 2012 because there was condensation on the uh, court, which isn't great. You're going to have guys slipping around. Um, so that kind of added to the to the intrigue this year when Gonzaga and Michigan State scheduled that game. Uh, but actually, it went about as smoothly as you could ask for. They played it on Veterans Day out there in San Diego. Um, they time it, I'm sure they time it intentionally to be kind of during the, the sunset time of the day, because it started out sunny. And by the end of it, they had the, you know, the sky looked pink and all that from what they showed on TV. That's cool. Um, so it was a, a very cool setting. The three point numbers again, were not that good, but it also didn't, it didn't look like the wind was really carrying anything. I, maybe the, you know, could just be first game rust. I'm sure. First game, also the, you know, just a little bit of wind could knock something off course. So, uh, but nobody got hurt. Nobody slipped around. They did a lot of, uh, military salutes and military tributes. So I think that's one of the coolest traditions in sports. And I'm glad they brought it back. Um, and since nothing really went horribly wrong this year, I'm assuming they'll bring it back next year. And yeah, you know, if they really wanted to do something cool, they would take the aircraft carrier into the middle of the ocean and they would start playing the game <laughs> like that. But, I mean, that's maybe an idea that I'll, I'll pitch to them at some point. But if, if it took them 10 years to get back on an aircraft carrier, it might take them about 20 to get out. It might take them 100 years. years to get out there. It but might. I mean, I'm glad that we're finally using the wind as an excuse for poor shooting because I've been using that since middle school. So I'm glad it finally has like some kind of, you know, backing to it. But no, that was like super cool to see. I'm kind of upset that I didn't really get to see much of it. Uh, you know, I, I was doing things that day. That was like, that was my honey do list day. That was, I had a list this long of things I had to do because I was off from work for veterans day because it's a federal holiday, but I didn't really get a chance to see it, but I mean, it looked amazing. And, and 
a really a, a closer game than we definitely expected. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it wasn't at one point, one, a one point game. It was a one point game, and Michigan State led it most of the way. So, I mean, we've seen Gonzaga come in early in the season and, and lose some games before. They've lost to uh, to Duke in the past. They've lost to they. I forget who they. I don't think it was last year. Maybe the year before, or maybe even three years ago. They had a couple losses early in the season. Um. You know, it, it, I, I wouldn't take it so seriously, especially on an aircraft carrier. But Michigan State looked better than expected. They're unranked. Mm-hmm. They're still unranked. Uh, but even with the loss, I think they moved up. I think they're one spot off of number 25. So um, obviously they earned a little reputation there. And then they play Kentucky uh, tomorrow night. If you're listening to that's this. A really, that's tonight. a really rough two-game stretch. It's a rough first two games. But Kentucky's missing uh, – well, maybe missing the national player of the year. Uh, Oscar Shibway and if Michigan State could play like they did against Gonzaga where they didn't even shoot well you know they still scored 64 and didn't shoot well yeah they'll actually be um, inside yeah it'll actually be inside maybe who knows maybe the they'll be so precise after that that yeah. it <laughs> ends up helping them that should yeah. be a good game yeah uh it, it's it's an exciting time I I was telling Dan before we started recording I actually find myself watching college basketball more than professional basketball and maybe that's accredited to the fact that I'm a Nick fan and by, you know, by like December, I'm usually disgusted. So, I mean, maybe that's it, but it's definitely an exciting time. Speaking of NBA, I know we were talking about it beforehand. We wanted to mention it again. A couple of really big, big, big scoring games last night. Darius Garland in a loss, right? Yeah. Cavs lost in a loss, scored 51 points. And then Joel Embiid had one of the most impressive scorelines I've seen in quite some time. Uh, and Philadelphia won that game, right? They did. Yeah, I get 59. You know what, though? Well, all right, we'll say the the stat line. I'll I'll, spoiler alert. He had 59, 11, 8, and 7. That's 59 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists, 7 blocks, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah. But they only scored something like 103 or 104. I mean, sometimes you see these stat lines and it's like, okay, you know, it was a 130 to 128 game. He scored more than half their points. Not to mention all, you know, he assisted on a, a whole bunch of other points too. It's like a Cooper Cup receiving game. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly what we talked about last week. Cooper Cup had like 120 of the 160 Matthew Stafford yards. I mean, James Harden's out for the Sixers right now, and they're kind of trying to save Doc Rivers' job out there. And Joel Embiid put the team on his back. With uh, I, I, I mean, I call that one of the best stat lines we've ever seen. Yeah, it, it's got to be up there. And I remember, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Thank God, Dan. We usually record, besides for the last couple of weeks, we've been recording on, on either Monday morning or now this is Monday late afternoon. We usually record Sunday night. And thank God we didn't record last night, Dan, because I'm pretty sure I fell asleep at like 9.15 last night. And that's usually when we start recording. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was out for basically, I think I fell asleep just like with 10 minutes left in the second quarter of the football game. I had no idea what was going on the, like the entire night. And I woke up and I was like, wow, you know, I saw Darius Garland, but I didn't see Joel Embiid until the morning. And I was like, that's, that's an extremely, extremely impressive scoreline. That's, you know, (laughs) I was telling Dan this before and I had to mention it again because it's just utterly ridiculous. So you know, I'm all for the Ben Simmons slander. I think that he's as soft as baby shit. I think he is just, you know, he he's as soft as they come. Let's just leave it like that. But this this just made no sense. So I see a, a, a tweet that has nothing to do with Ben Simmons. It was Joel Embiid points scored tonight, 59. 
And then you go down and you see Ben Simmons points scored entire season, 47. And I was like, why does this man have to be brought into every single conversation? Like that stat has nothing to do with him whatsoever, but it's just, it's just memeable and it's funny. And look, we're talking, talking about it now. So that's probably exactly what that person wanted. I think it was like stat muse or something had that on. And I'm like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But it just proves that Ben Simmons is always in the news, negative mostly or, or positive, but I mean, a tremendous night for Joel Embiid. I, I wish that like, we, we do this a lot. I mean, I've done it with Brandon Roy a couple of times. You kind of wish that you could see what someone's career looks like with absolutely no injuries, just someone that plays every single game or close to it. And Joel Embiid kind of falls in that category with me where it's like, I just wish this guy would stay completely healthy all the time because I'm sure that he would be as dominant as anyone in the NBA consistently throughout the entire year if he was just able to stay healthy. He'd be one of the probably one of the most dominant big men of all time. I mean, yeah. the, you know, it sounds crazy, but the numbers he puts up when he's healthy are completely ridiculous. Um, and he's the, he was the MVP runner up last year. Uh, even though he's he missed a few games with an illness earlier this year, um, and we don't know if the Sixers are actually going to turn out to be that great, you'd have to think he's in the MVP conversation again, um, and that would be huge for his legacy. But I kind of find my I kind of found myself thinking about that last night is. If he had stayed healthy, if he came into the league healthy in 2014, um, or even if he missed missed just one season because he ended up missing two and a half, yeah, uh, you know what would what would his career numbers look like? You know, if you have a guy who's averaging close to 30 points a game when he's when he's healthy, um, and then puts up those ridiculous rebounding numbers, uh, those career stats would be rising really quickly. I know they're they're probably still pretty low because of all the the time he's missed, but you know all these things. Can I'm gonna be check solved. that right now. Why you keep talking? All these things can be solved if he can win a championship or maybe not even a championship, but get to the finals uh, and play on the NBA's biggest stage. I, I think that would be the biggest thing for his legacy. We know he can put up the numbers. Um, we know he can lead the Sixers to the playoffs. I mean, anybody that talented can do that in the NBA. He's putting up Hall of Fame numbers. Yeah. No, listen, the, well, first of all, I, I've got a problem with the basketball Hall of Fame. They let anybody in. Yeah, he's so exactly. A, he's putting up Hall of Fame he's numbers. A legitimate, I think he's a legitimate Hall of Fame talent. That's the type of player he is. I wouldn't even – this is a, a situation where as long as he stays mostly healthy, um, you know, for the rest of his career or the next few years, I wouldn't blame him at all for putting him in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's that good when he's on the he, court. He's averaging 26, 11, and 3 for his career. That's kind of honestly a higher than I thought it would be. Yeah, no, he, I mean, when he's out there – He's great. It's not even like it's not even like missing time sporadically hurts his performance. It's you know he can miss time with whatever, and when he comes back out there, he's just as dominant as he was before. And some of the injuries lately, not his fault. Uh, he had the um, he's had a concussion thing. He had a, he got hit in the face a few years ago and forced him to miss half the playoffs. Um, I don't remember what the issue was this past year, but he missed part of that series against the Heat and kind of doomed. Yeah. Sixers and he's had back issues too which you know that I shouldn't say any injuries are his fault but some of them are you know blatantly uh freak injuries the back injury is not the back is something he'll have to monitor um the foot at the start of his career was a problem that he seems like he's gotten over it just kind of keeps happening to him in different parts of his body It's, it's almost like it's not even a recurring thing there's just always something going on well you have to think you have to think, I mean, obviously size 
plays advantage yeah. plays a huge part in that. But even I mean, I've seen we've seen guys that are absolutely what is he's like seven two, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, but he's got like the frame to be seven two, if that makes sense. Because you yeah. see some guys that are seven two, seven three that weigh a hundred less pounds or fifty less pounds than Joel Embiid does. So you know, you had to think that just when you're that big, especially the lower half of your body, knees, ankles, feet, takes a real big toll on you because I toll on you because I'm pretty sure they say that I don't know if this is I'm not a scientist. I don't know if this is factually accurate, but they say that for every pound that you are, it's four pounds on your knees. So imagine someone that's seven foot three, he probably weighs over three hundred pounds, I'm assuming. You know, that's that's a lot on you. So the fact that he I mean, I thought his career was gonna be a disaster from the beginning when, you know, like you said, he missed two and a half years. I'm like, oh, this guy's a huge bust. And uh, he's been exceptional when he's healthy. So that is one person. Same thing, like I said, I was a big Brandon Roy fan back in the day. And I wish that that guy just could have stayed healthy throughout his career. But, you know, if Embiid, if I had one or two options, Embiid would probably be one of those guys where I'd say, I wish I could just see what he would do. Because, you know, you talk about the most dominant player in NBA history or these current, like, relevant NBA history, you probably talk about Shaq. Like he's putting up comparable numbers to Shaq in Shaq's prime too. Maybe not so much rebounding, but field goal percentage and 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 points per game. He's kind of close up there. So it's, you know, it sounds crazy, but then when you dive into it, it's not as crazy as you think. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder too, if, if that huge frame is actually uh, helping him play so well when he gets back on the court. You know, I mentioned before, he'll miss time with injuries and he'll come back looking like, you know, he never missed a step. It, it's kind of a a remarkable thing, the numbers he manages to put up. And I, I kind of think just being bigger than stronger, bigger and stronger than everybody is the reason why. He, you know, even if he's playing through pain, discomfort, something's not right. His frame, of course he's tall, but his his large frame allows him to just dom- physically dominate the uh, the competition. I mean, he he legitimately is bigger and stronger than everybody out there, and that's exactly what Shaq was. Yeah, Shaq was physically dominant, bigger and stronger than everybody. Of course, if you're going to be that good, you have to have skill too. They're both very skilled, uh, but the biggest factor is how physically dominant those two are. Now, if only if only Embiid could get up there and and win a championship, then he can be in that conversation. You know, Shaq had Kobe, so. There's that. I think the the Sixers were hoping that James Harden could be. Embiid's well, I was going to say, well, Embiid has fat washed up James Harden, <laughs> and it kind of sucks to say that because he actually wasn't playing that bad yeah. this year. And now, how 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 long is he out for? He's only out a month, and it's already been like close to two weeks. So hopefully by early December he's back. Yeah, but I think we could both agree that Harden isn't uh, Rockets James Harden anymore. No. So, but he could still be that, uh, you know, a, a absolutely vital piece when he wants to, on, on his day when he wants to play. It's tough to beat James Harden, but you have to figure. I, I, I definitely think I, I would put money down right now that Embiid gets a title before the end of his career. Well, part of the reason is the Sixers are, are constantly changing things up, trying to get their, their roster in shape to win a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the Harden move back when they got Jimmy Butler, not only did they get Jimmy Butler, they said that's not enough. And they went and got uh, Tobias Harris the same year. And if they had beaten, you know, that, that Raptors series came down to that last shot. If they had beaten the Raptors in game seven, who knows how far they actually would have went because the Bucks collapsed that year in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Warriors were severely injured. I, that's kind of a, a what-if scenario that gets forgotten about. 
Um, but yeah, the fact that the, the Sixers are always trying to shake up that roster and get it into position to win a title makes me think that they're going to try very, very hard to put Embiid in the position to win a championship for years to come. But got to stay healthy. I know it's not it's not his fault necessarily, but you do have to stay healthy at some point. They're, they're never going to win if he's not at his at his best. No, you're absolutely right. You're you're definitely right, but it it remains to be seen. I think that they're in good shape this. You know, well, if Harden comes back and plays fairly decent, I think they'd be in good shape this year to at least make a, a serious push for yeah. some kind of title contender. Yeah, the East isn't as wide open as the West. It looks like because you got the the Celtics are playing as well as anybody expected, and the Bucks are dominant. Um, the West is a complete mess. The Warriors don't look good. Nobody really looks that good. So they, they might get unlucky again by playing in the same conference as the, the Celtics and the Bucks. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, when you've got Embiid and Harden, you're kind of out of excuses. So it's Yeah. And like you said, especially the way that they've shaken up that roster the last few years. I mean, it's you – know, you, after a while, especially Doc Rivers, you kind of run out of excuses. Yeah. But – I think uh, I think it's it's about time that we move on to our favorite part of the week. Uh, the week, what week is this? Ten. Week ten. Oh my god! Week ten NFL recap, and you know it, it didn't start off great. Uh, you know, I mean this 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 NFL recap is probably going to be like fifteen minutes less than it usually is because the Jets didn't play this week. So <laughs> Dan and I don't have another victory to talk about. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure I said. I, I said to myself yesterday, this is the, the first time in years where I've said, too bad the Jets don't play today. Usually it's, oh, good, the Jets don't play today. <laughs> this, was, this was actually a disappointment. But, but there, we'll get to it, but there was one Jets win this week. Yes. In the standings. Uh, and I'm very excited to talk about that. But we have to get, unfortunately, we have to get through these other two games first before it pops up on my, uh, on my pick list here. But. The first game of the week was Thursday night. It was the Carolina Panthers hosting the Atlanta Falcons. And this is a matchup that we saw two weeks ago that was was the game of the year up until this point. Was the game of the year. Yeah, it was uh, over time, you know, if it wasn't for DJ Moore taking his helmet off and throwing it into the stands or whatever he did, Carolina probably would have one more win. But they did lose in overtime. Uh, you know, a, a rain-soaked game. I mean, both of these teams, it was apparent from the beginning – both of these teams were allergic to throwing the football. I mean, they were both extremely scared to throw the football. I think up until the fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure P.J. Walker had like 31 passing yards or something crazy like that. And Marcus Mariota didn't really have that. I think he had like just over 100. And both teams combined for like 30 pass attempts through three quarters. But you know, Deontay Foreman proves to be... Uh, not only a vital piece of the Carolina Panthers offense now, but a fantasy football league winner up until this point. Uh, he's been sensational since really taking over that that lead back role. And they basically just rode him the entire way to victory. It was a, a, a pretty, I'm, what was the final score? 25-15 Carolina, right? Something along those an lines. Odd, an odd score line. But uh, 25-15 it was, and, and I don't think it was ever really that close. Carolina jumped out to a quick 10-0 lead. Uh, Atlanta answered, but then after that, it was, it was really all Carolina. Some really bad turnovers by Atlanta and Marcus Mariota. And thank God for him being down, because that would have been the worst interception in NFL history if he rolled over and threw that ball right to the defender. But, I mean, it, it was just like – 
that was a perfect example of the NFC South, that game where it's like, you know, it's just, just pick a name out of a hat and that's who's going to win this week because you never know what the Carolina looked great defensively. And then next week they'll go up 78 points. Like it, it's just, there's no in between with any of these teams. Yeah. My, my big takeaway from that game is, uh, you know, earlier in the year we talked about Desmond Ritter and, and Marcus Mariota and that dynamic. And it was like, you know, well, as long as they're winning and they're in contention, I, I don't think it's time to go to Ritter. Well, the he, Marcus Mariota was was bad enough in that game that it, it I felt like it might have been time to go to Desmond Ritter. I think maybe the only reason they didn't, although Arthur Smith has been defiant that he is never switching to Desmond Ritter. Um, I, my initial thought during that game was that it was because of the rain that they wouldn't go to Ritter. It would be a little unfair for him. Yeah, uh, to be thrown into that situation while trailing, uh, but Mariota's decision making was terrible. It was it was really bad. That near interception was part of the bad decision making. You don't want to take that risk either. Just go down. You know he kind of got lucky on that that he was down. Um, you know the decision making the whole night was was very poor, and it's not all his fault. There were some receiver issues. The offensive line was not good at all. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of a breakdown of the entire offense. But he his decision making was poor, and then I don't I don't understand how they had that one drive. If you saw, it was when they were down two possessions. They had one drive where he had four passes in a row, all eighteen yards or more, to score mm-hmm. a touchdown in like fifty seconds. How yeah. do you do that? And then every other drive is a complete disaster. I, I have it's, no idea. It's like that one thing where I think we've talked about this before, where it's like a team will suck ass all game, and then it's like they're down by three points or seven points with two minutes left, and then they somehow decide to know how to move the ball. Like it's almost like, oh, like now we actually have to try to move the ball. I, I never, I never understood that, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I think that was the drive where um, Mariota threw a touchdown to Drake London. I think that was the drive. Yeah, I don't, I don't even about. remember who it ended with, but the, yeah. it was legitimately four passes, like one after the other. All I remember it all being eighteen yards or longer, uh, and it looked beautiful. <laughs> I mean, if they if they played like that, they would have easily beaten the Panthers. Uh, and but then they had the ball again because they got a quick stop, and they got the ball back with the chance to take the lead, and it was a, a complete disaster. Yeah, now, I, I, that might have even been the one where he fell into the ground and then tried to throw the ball away. I don't remember, but. Um, he ended up That's when I turned back. the TV off. When I saw that, I was like, all right, I'm going to bed. He ended up taking back-to-back sacks with which uh, I think one of them was his fault and one of them wasn't. He had some sacks in that game where he easily could have just thrown it away. Uh, but he tried to he tried to hold on to the ball and make something happen. There was one where he he legitimately was he was being chased out of bounds or he was being chased to the sideline. All you have to do is just give it a little toss to the sideline. And he ran. He ran out of bounds with it for a loss of something like five yards. Which well, I think I remember. I think I remember what you're talking about. I mean, but even some of the throws. I mean, and this is me being like a salty Kyle Pitts fantasy owner. I mean, every time he targets, it's like it's like he wants to throw the ball anywhere but where Kyle Pitts is. I remember on numerous occasions, every time he targeted Kyle Pitts. The ball was either 10 yards over his head. I remember there was a crosser that Kyle Pitts could easily had 30 yards on. There was not a defender I, I, within a mile of him. I remember and the ball point. sailed like 10 over time. his head. Yep. And it's just like, I guess, you know, the, the the drawback to that is, hey, you know, the ball gets slippery when it's wet. I, I, I do get that. Like that, that it legitimately does happen sometimes. But, I mean – you know, you can't hang your hat on, hey, you know, if I would have, if the ball didn't slip out of my hand a couple of times, we would have won that game. That's a devastating loss for 
I mean, that, that was a real opportunity to kind of take control of the NFC South for the Atlanta Falcons and kind of be in the driver's seat. And they kind of pissed it away. And they, they did have a, a lot of opportunities to come back and potentially win that game. But, you know, it is what it is. I actually did pick the Carolina Panthers to win that game. Uh, got off to a, a rocking start that this week. I was high. I, I was on cloud nine after that because I really didn't think. I just once I saw it raining for some reason I was like, oh yeah, Carolina is going to win, and I didn't really think they were actually going to win. But Carolina did pull out the victory for me to start the week. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm undefeated on Thursday night football except for the first game of the year. I'm well, I'm not because I picked the Atlanta Falcons. I, I to be honest, I, I knew about the rain, but I thought it was a pretty easy pick. This is the first time they've had that whole running game together. Cordero yeah. Patterson was back, and they wouldn't give the ball to Cordero Patterson. I think they I think they gave him like eight attempts or something like that. I mean, you know, the Panthers did a good job shutting down the running game when when they ran it. I, I give them that, but I mean, at least try to wear them down. You know, he at least your quarterback is Marcus Mariota. Just you have three running backs that you use. Give the ball to one of them, two of them, you know, whatever. Keep going, rotate them. I don't care. Just keep running the ball until you wear down the Panthers' defense. That's, did you that's see, definitely, definitely your best way of, of winning that game. They wouldn't do it. Did you see? I, I, I don't remember what team it was, but the Atlanta Falcons have four guys over 250 rushing yards through yeah. nine weeks for the first time since like 1980, I think I want to say it was. Yeah, uh, something like that. Like f- four guys that have over, t- and everyone's basically well over 250 rushing yards. So that was kind of puzzling to me too. I remember seeing that stat, and then seeing Cordell Patterson get like six rushes for nine yards, and was like, "Well, uh, all right." But anyway, started off the week one game over Dan, and I will say I'm not only almost undefeated on Thursday Night Football, I'm undefeated in Germany, Dan. I'm basically on the same level as Tom Brady at this point. I'm undefeated in Germany. Uh, Actually, if you look at the scoreline from the next game between Tampa Bay and Seattle, you see 21-16, you think, wow, that was a snoozer. It actually was a pretty, pretty entertaining game. I mean, the second half was way more entertaining than the first. But overall, I'd say that for the NFL's first experience in Germany, I I feel like that was a pretty solid game to – walk away from you know it wasn't like one of those nine six games where it's like oh boy well we're never going back to Germany because they think that this sport sucks but uh yeah I mean the crowd probably made that atmosphere that much better uh you know having uh, the greatest quarterback of all time in my opinion there also made that game a lot better the, there I'm glad that you said that because my next part was going to be end Tom Brady that's what I was going to say uh <laughs> But I mean, I, I thought it was a great game overall, and it's great for the for the game of football itself because outside of the United States, the country that has the largest NFL fan base is Germany. So it's actually funny that it took them this long to get over there, considering how many London games we've seen, you know, over the years. And the crowd was incredible. The game was really good. It it, it ended very very well. And um, I, I tweeted it yesterday, and it was actually a pretty popular tweet. I said. Uh, I didn't have Geno Smith as a Pro Bowl quarterback in my 2022 NFL bingo card, but I think it's incredible. I love it. Um, I know for a fact that you love it. I do. So let's talk about it a little bit. Well, you know, the he did his thing. Like that's the thing. He, you know, he, people doubted the Seahawks. I had people 
um, commenting when I did, posted the playoff picture last week that they don't have a chance to win in the division. And the 49ers already beat them, and they have you know one more win, and they're going to have the lead in the tiebreaker. So that may they may not win the division. But it's not because of Geno Smith. He looked like typical Geno Smith that we know from this year yesterday. The difference in this game was the, the running game. The Buccaneers yeah. completely shut down Kenneth Walker. First of all, by taking a, a, a two-touchdown lead, they forced the Seahawks to pass the ball a bit, which they, they did. But the Seahawks offense runs well when you got both the running game and the passing game of going. Of course, as but with Kenneth any Walker, running. Kenneth Walker had 17 yards on 10 carries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that that'll do it. That's the difference. the The Bucks had a running game. Uh, Rashad White looked really good. Really, his breakout game. Yeah, um, in the NFL, hundred five yards. And Kenneth Walker did not. Uh, so you know that was that was the difference. Uh, Geno Smith did all he had to do. Uh, they came back from from down. What was it? Twenty one to three or something. Yeah, like that? it was t- twenty one to three. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so Tom, did you- Tom Brady. Gave, almost gave the game away. I mean, he yeah. it was only the second interception of the year. He's done a great job of cutting down turnovers, even while it was um, three hundred and ninety nine pass attempts in between. Yeah, which is crazy because it's not. It's definitely not his best year. But this is what the what the the very very smart quarterbacks do. They realize their limitations and they try to avoid turnovers. That's exactly what. That's exactly Geno, what Geno Smith is doing. <laughs> well, you know, no, but it is though because Geno Smith's big issue early in his career was turnovers. Uh, he had 21 interceptions his first season. What what he did, um, if you add up like all of his starts through the years before this year with the Seahawks and with the chart, he had one with the Giants and things like that. Um, he wasn't throwing interceptions. They weren't really winning, but he wasn't throwing interceptions. He figured out a way to cut down on them. And that's what Brady's doing. Peyton Manning did that at the end of his career. That last year, um, he didn't realize he was declining. He threw like 17 interceptions in nine games. <laughs> it was awful. And then in the playoffs, he threw one interception total because he realized, okay, I'm getting older. I can't do everything I used to do, um, but I'm going to help my team a lot by not turning over the ball. And that's what Tom Brady's been doing. However, yesterday he did throw an interception uh, late in the game that allowed the Seahawks to come back and make it 21-16. And all Seattle needed was a stop, and it felt like they would have won that game if they had gotten a stop because their offense was moving. Uh, but they couldn't get the stop. Rashad White was was running all over them, and uh, that – if. For that reason, it kind of feels like the wind is on uh, Rashad White's legs. He, he prevents yeah. the Seahawks from getting that shot. I will say one thing, though. Uh, a crucial Geno Smith fumble. Uh, I'm pretty sure if it wasn't in the red zone, it was close to the red zone. But, I mean, at that point, you know, he still puts you in a position to, if you get the ball back, you have a chance to win the game. I mean, there was one throw that he made. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was he escaped a sack, and it looked like he was going to run. And he just threw a bullet over the middle to Tyler Lockett for the touchdown. Probably, probably the best throw he's made all season. He's made some really, really good ones. I mean, that was just like that's the difference. Like where you look at Geno Smith and you go, "Hey, like this is just a great story." Like he's still not that great. Like if you take if if you put Geno Smith in that same situation in 2013, I mean, that's a pick or a sack or a fumble all day long like you see the I mean yeah sure it took nine years but I mean the the guy can play and I don't think it's so far-fetched hearing these rumors that the Seattle Seahawks are going to extend him well beyond this year if he could if he plays like this all season and even if Seattle you know gets a wild card berth maybe even wins one playoff game you kind of have to give him the extension and give him the job I mean it's it's laughable to even think that at the beginning of the year, we were sitting here saying, 
Well, I said, I think Drew Locke is going to beat him out at the quarterback competition. But that's what it looked like at the time. I think if, 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 if things keep going the way they are, and if they get to that scenario where they're in the playoffs or winning a playoff game, the conversation moves from do we extend Geno Smith to how much money do we have to give him? Yeah. I mean, I, what I kind of talked about before the season was with Baker Mayfield. We said if he has – the quarterbacks are in such high demand right now, and there's going to be so many teams that need a quarterback. Uh, in this offseason that if he has comes out and plays like he did in 2020, the conversation is going to be, um, you know, he, how much money is he going to get? He was going to get a huge contract if he has a big year because that's how uncertain it was. Um, and now the situation is, is Baker Mayfield ever going to be a starting quarterback again, which he is this weekend? Because yeah, for the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they're going to have a different quarterback every year. Gino will probably end up with the Colts one year too. He's 38, 39. <laughs> Um, but that, that's the way this is going for Geno Smith. It's, it's not even going to be, will they keep him? It's going to be how much money do they have to give him? Because he's, he's going to command a lot of money. If he, I mean, look, he's got 17 touchdowns and four interceptions. Uh, in a year where there's higher, a higher number of turnovers, points are down, uh, he's, he's putting up legitimate franchise quarterback numbers. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be mostly about what kind of contract does he get. I think we're, we're almost past the point of do the Seahawks keep him unless he really – Craters down the stretch. Uh, I was looking for something on my phone. I can't find it. It was a mention on Twitter uh, that I had a few days ago. Uh, I, I couldn't find it, but it was something along the lines of someone said something about Geno Smith. And the first comment, I, I'm usually quiet in terms of, I don't, I don't like to instigate things on Twitter. I had to interject myself into this one, Dan. Had to. So... The guy said, I think it was like, oh, it, the question was, is Geno Smith uh, uh, average, above average, good, elite? Like, what, what do you think he is? What, elite is a wild statement, by the way. Um, but, and then the first comment I saw was, I'm going to go with good. If I'm the Jets organization, this looks horrible for me. And I was like, what? So I said to him, I said, all I said was, How? How does that look bad for the Jets organization? He goes, oh, well, they had him when he was younger, more athletic, had a stronger arm. And I said, and I sat there and I said to myself, I was like, do I really want to get into this right now? And then I said, yeah, I got time. And I put my recliner up on my chair, on my couch. And I was like, all right, I'm into this. So I, I wish I had it because I, I, I probably can't quote it perfectly. But I said, was yes. It's the Jets' fault that they gave up on a quarter uh, that uh, a quarterback that they drafted nine years ago and went to four different teams is finally looking like an NFL quarterback. I said, so how exactly does that make the Jets look bad? And then he he kind of it took like two hours for him to answer, and then he was like, yeah, I guess when you put it that way, it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, boom! I'm like, let's go, my victory for me. Like, let's go! Finally a dub. I've been starving for one for weeks. I've been hit a parlay since week one. This is horrible, but. No, I, 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 but like, don't get me wrong. The only reason I bring it up is because of the fact that it's insane that it's even a question to think that Geno Smith could be in that good, great, or elite category. Like it, it, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I'm saying like the way he's playing, you have to put him in that good or great. Can't put him in elite. You have to put him in in a good or great category, and I, I think it's great. I, I love seeing this, but you know digressing towards the end of the game. This is a huge win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They won two straight. Look like they're sort of kind of getting back on track 
especially defensively. Defen- I mean, again, like you said, they stuffed the run like a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, there was just it, it was it was pretty dominant. And that's someone that's coming off of like four straight 100 yard um, games as well. And Kenneth Walker, and that's someone who scored a touchdown in five straight games. Mm-hmm. So to shut someone down with that much momentum, that's really big for the Bucks defense. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady is the first person, of course, the first person in NFL history to win a, a NFL game in four different countries. So, and uh, Devin White, I should say, he he's had a really tough year so far. He had two sacks in that game, and they're missing. He's not really a pass rusher, but they're missing Shaq Barrett. So they've got to they've got to work with what they have. And for him to have two sacks and come up big for that defense is kind of a game changer. But um, I I picked the Bucks, so I'm I'm uh, no sorry, I picked the Seahawks. You picked the Bucks. I did pick the Bucks. Uh, so I'm over uh, too. I'm undefeated in Germany. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, Two and I, I start am defeated in Germany. <laughs> I am defeated. You're winless in Germany. It's a better way to say it. But uh, the buck pretty much stops here for me. I mean, it was a rough week after these these last cut, the, the first two wins. Uh, I was actually thinking at one point I was going to go undefeated for the week. I was like, yeah, let's go. And then, I mean, because those were two tough games to kind of call. Could have went either way. So I was like, all right, two in my favor. So I should have known that it was going to be all downhill from here. But, Dan. Let us talk about the next game that is on the slate, and that is the Vikings and the Bills. And that, my friend, I am so glad was on TV because that was the game of the year. And it comes if the game between the Bills and the Chiefs in in the playoffs last year wasn't so good, I would say that that was probably the best game of the decade, honestly. The game was incredible. It it really, really was. If you watch that game from beginning to end like I did, there was – there was – through 55 minutes of the game, it was, ah, you know, the Bills are kind of letting the Vikings hang around, but it's the Bills. They're going to pull the victory out. You know, like, it, that's just how it's going to be. Incredible game. Topsy-turvy. I mean, my heart was pounding. I'm not, I'm not even close to being a fan of either of those teams. And it was just a classic example of how America, like, why America loves the NFL so much. Yeah, and the the – the best way for me to gauge how good a game is is how many times I have to rewrite the post that I'm making. <laughs> and it, that that's what stood out for me. It actually it kept making me think of the Chiefs and Bills because it's not like, okay, oh, I think the Chiefs are winning. Oh, I think the Bills are winning. It's more like I, I just I keep adding something on to the description. That's how many that's how many things happen between what looks like might be the end of the game and what actually is the end of the game. And that was this. My my description of it just kept getting longer and longer and longer because <laughs> there was there it, we went from thinking, okay, well the Vikings are going to go down the field um, even before the, the Justin Jefferson catch. The Vikings are going to go down the field uh, and maybe win the game on on this last drive. Um, of course, they needed a touchdown because for some reason they still employ Greg Joseph, who cannot make an extra point. To save oh my his life. god! Um, and he's also like seventy something percent on field goals. I, I don't know why they, it's going to cost them if they keep him around, but that's a completely separate issue. Completely separate issue. Um, I had to add on so many different things at the at the end of this game. We don't have to take anybody through what happened at the end of this game, but yeah, I, you I definitely know what happened at the end of this game. No, but I mean, it's so insane though to think that. We, they spent all that time in the in the red zone at the end. They even got an extra fourth down play, I think, uh, because of the penalty. They had like five chances in the red zone. Do nothing. They get nothing out of it. Even after that Justin Jefferson catch, which we're going to talk about in a second, um, they give the ball back and one play in, they it, the game turns on its head. And I, rem- I remember seeing that and thinking, 
oh man, they, they could probably turn this into a safety. Like it's it's legitimately close enough that, that it could turn into a safety. Um, and when when it first happened, that was my thought is, okay, you know, before anyone said anything, I thought, all right, safety, which actually might have been the smart move for the Bills. Safety, I was going to mention that, but of course. Point game, and now the Vikings way. actually might have some time, but the ball came out. That's one. That's the one thing you cannot do. I don't care how bad your elbow is or what injury you have. Cannot let go of that ball. Give the ball to somebody who who won't let go of it. I yeah, but I I don't think you could. I, I don't. You can't really blame Josh Allen for that because it looked on on further replays. It looked like the ball didn't even really get to him before. Like he he had a chance to kind of bobble it. Like it was just a bad like. It was just an all around. I mean, it was a horrific play. If you're if you're a Bills fan and if you're on the Bills, like that is legitimately probably the worst case in any game scenario that, that you can go. I've never seen that before ever I, in that kind of, you know, it, at the end of a game like that, I've never seen something like that before. And, uh, you, you know, it, I was going to say before you said it, the smart play for the bills was to probably try and drain as much clock as possible. I mean, how many seconds can you really take off? Yeah. I, I mean, it would probably only be about five or six run out of the back of the end zone and then let your defense who kind of confused Kirk Cousins for a lot of the game. I mean, and if we're being honest, the Vikings had no business being in that game unless Justin Jefferson makes, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold off on what I want to say, but you know, if he doesn't make that catch, the game is over. You, you know what I'm saying? So you're, you're, I would, if it was me, obviously hindsight's 2020, there's a reason why we're not coaches in the NFL. Uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty. I tell Josh Allen, you know what? Even if it's to secure the snap and just kneel down in the end zone, you know that was legitimately worst case scenario. But uh, the first question I want to ask you is: We've been very. I mean, the Vikings were seven and one before this game, one of the best teams in the NFL record wise. So we've been very critical of the Vikings the entire year, saying, you know what? Yeah, they're seven and one, but they haven't really shown us anything. So the question begs to be asked now that they beat the Buffalo Bills, Dan Tracy, did the Vikings prove something to you that they haven't proved all season? I think they did. Uh, the mentality of the team. Comple- I, I've, I know I've said this before. It's not brand new that they, are, they have a different mentality than they did under Mike Zimmer. But there's, there's something different on every play. There's some kind of new belief that they have where it feels like if they had the same confidence in themselves in past years, because let's, you know, let's be honest, they're not, they didn't have some huge off season where they added all this talent. They added some good. They really had no money, honestly, either. So Darius Smith was a great addition, but that's really it. Uh, It it feels like the biggest difference is the mentality. And so look, they, they won some games. They probably would have lost last year. Um, You know, that lions game where they blew the lead, even the commanders game where they were, they blew the lead and they were trailing. They might have lost some of those games under Mike Zimmer. But the question was, or I should say the belief by people like us was they probably can't go and beat the Bills unless Case Keenum starts or something. You know, even no matter how, how we confident even talked they about are. It and we said that exact thing. Right. No matter how no matter how confident they are, you know, I don't know if the, the confidence is enough to make the difference between uh, what they were before and now going on the road in Buffalo and beating the Bills. Yeah. I don't know. There, There's something – there's some kind of – this team believes in themselves more than I think any other team in the NFL right now. It, it, it seems it like should. such a, a 180. And by the way, the offense does look a lot better under Kevin O'Connell. I know they've had issues. I know Kirk Cousins has had some bad turnovers, including yesterday. 
had a, a interception where it looked like he thought, uh, I think it was Dane Jackson, the Bills corner was his receiver. I mean, that's my only explanation because yeah. it was right to him. There are mistakes, but that offense is running so smoothly under Kevin O'Connell. I think anytime you win in Buffalo, it proves something. If the Jets went and did it later in the year, it would prove something that we haven't seen yet from them. Uh, I, I want to say, yeah, that Justin Jefferson catch, if you're ready to get into that. I, I, I'm not yet. I want to save that for the end because I feel <laughs> okay. like there's – I feel like this game – I mean, this game was so multi-layered. It's, there's just so much to unpack from this game from being as great as it was. I mean, Kirko Chains – is legitimately have I mean that's my favorite nickname for like any NFL player now. Kirko Chains is actually having like his worst season that he's having as a Viking yeah. up until this point. And it's so funny because like like you said, there's just something different about it because you look at Dalvin Cook and you're like, well, you know, all right, Kirko Chains is isn't I'm messing it up already. Kirko Chains isn't having you know, his best year. So they must be relying on Dalvin Cook. And then you look at his numbers and you're like, eh, you know, he's not really having the greatest year either. And you're just like, well, what is it? Oh, it must be defensively. And then you look and it's like, ah, middle of the pack and everything. It's like, so what is it? And it's the confidence level. It's the belief. It's the come. They are the comeback kids. That's just what it is. I'm pretty sure that they're eight and one. Six of those wins have come from behind. I, I mean, it's, they they've had been playing incredible so far and i i'm going to go out and say now you know obviously you have to say something wild after a team like the you know the vikings goes into buffalo and and wins and i think that if that week 2 matchup between the eagles and the vikings took place within either 2 weeks ago up until now very different ball game i think I think it would be a very, very different ballgame. And that is something that we might see in the playoffs at one point. And that would be a very, very interesting rematch of week two because I don't think that the Eagles go out and dominate the Vikings as much as they did. I think it's an extremely close game now. And, and you kind of have to lump the Vikings into the category of the Eagles, not not only by record, but you know, they're playing with confidence. They're, they're, they're playing their game. The Eagles are going out, they're playing their game and they're winning. And the Vikings are kind of doing the same exact thing. Now on the flip side, you kind of have to feel like, I mean, two end zone interceptions by Josh Allen, two 97 year old Patrick Peterson, uh, you know, quite alarming. I mean, the first one you look and you go, oh, okay. Like first off, if the Viking, if the if the Bills take the points, the game's over. If the Viking, if the yeah. if, I keep messing up, if the Bills take the points on that fourth down, they win the game. This isn't even a discussion. This is a, oh the Vikings aren't what we thought they were, or they're exactly what we thought they were. You know, oh the Bills, the whatever it may be. You know, and then we didn't think anything of it. I'm sure you were watching that game and you were like, ah, well, he just tried to squeeze it in there to get, you know, whatever, to get extra, to get more points or whatever. Not a big deal because there was so little time left on the clock and, you know, and they were down by two scores. So you're like, eh, not a big deal. Doesn't matter. And then probably the worst, I mean, the worst throw Josh Allen made all season was the first interception last week against the Jets. This came very close. The, The interception that ended the game. I mean, that throw had to be the most accurate throw in NFL history to get it in between three defenders, and it wasn't, and Patrick Peterson intercepts him again. You kind of have to feel like the last couple weeks, Josh Allen has thrown the Buffalo Bills out of games. 
Yeah, he doesn't need to be Superman. I, I feel like that's he's got ten interceptions now. That's because he's not being careful enough with the ball. Um, he's trying to play the hero, and his team's actually way more talented than than that. He doesn't, you know, if he was on a team where he was legitimately the the only source of offense, I'd understand it. But they have a, a great system there. The whole offense is good. The defense is good. You don't need to be playing hero um, when when you're the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, not with the way they're they're currently constructed. So I'm not other than that, I'm really not that concerned about the Bills. If anything, you know, these losses will probably help them in the end because they're realizing, okay, everybody had us as Super Bowl favorites going into the year, and then we started three and oh, and you know, we look like the best team in the NFL. We're gonna cruise uh into the playoffs. And then, you know, once we get to the Chiefs again, that's when we can turn it on. I think now they know they've got they've got some things to work out. Um, but look at their losses. I mean, first of all, look at their losses dating back to to the Chiefs game. The 13 seconds left for the Chiefs. The Bills had the lead. I mean, easily could have won that game. Um, the Jets game, you know, the offense really wasn't that great. They got shut down by uh, – That's that because great, the Jets played great defense. Yes, they Call got shut down is, by man. that great Call Jets defense. But that's the thing is it's not really an offensive failure. It's it's a close game that they lost um, in the division on the road. It happens. Uh, they lose to the Vikings. It's a game they they easily could have won. Um, I'll be, you know, that's kind of as much as I want to give credit to the Vikings. I, I give credit to both teams. It's kind of like that was that game was a coin flip. If the Bills had won the coin toss, probably would have just went down the field and Pro- scored probably, yeah. Um, and then the Dolphins game was also a legitimate toss up. I mean, the the well, I mean, the if the clock, if, if if they had an extra timeout, the game is won by the right. yeah. So so I'm not too concerned about the Bills. We we all we know is that they're not. The most they're not dominant you know we coming into the year we thought oh three and oh they've beaten good teams uh, they are they going to go 15 and two or okay that's out they can be beaten we know that um i i think that this will probably help them more than it hurts them in terms yeah. of giving them some some things to avoid like don't throw the ball you know to three defenders in the end zone don't throw the ball to the opposite team yeah when the when you're already moving down the field really well uh, so yeah, it might teach Josh Allen not to play hero ball down the stretch. Now it did hurt them in the standings. This is an important game in the standings. If not, forget the AFC East, the number, there's only one buy in each conference. And I said two weeks ago, actually on, on the podcast, when it was just me that, you know, they've got a, they've got this big lead over the chiefs now in the AFC and they have the tiebreaker. Well, it's gone. The, Chief, the Chiefs are the number one seed. Yeah, uh, and you know, luckily the Bills do still have that tiebreaker and always will. But there's that. And then on the other side of things, the Vikings are putting pressure on the Eagles. The Eagles have a one game lead and a tiebreaker, but the Vikings are still playing for something, even though they have that gigantic lead in the NFC North. They can they can conceivably, even though the Eagles have a pretty weak schedule, they can conceivably get the number one seed. Yeah, uh, in the NFC, they they should be playing for it because. You know, they don't want to go to Philadelphia in the in the NFC Championship game. They've done that before. As the they weren't, I don't I don't know if they were favored in that game, but they were the more talented team. Didn't didn't work out well for them. The year they had Case Keenum, it did not work out for them. They don't want to do that again. Don't you don't want to go? I'm not saying Minnesota has big home field advantage, but Philadelphia does. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that the Minnesota Vikings scored first in that game, then they lost like 37 to seven? Oh, I I thought I I. I was still, I was actually still depressed by uh, Blake Bortles losing to Tom Brady, so I, I kind of couldn't be excited by it. But I, I was all in on that Vikings team that year, and I thought, man, 
Case Keenum is going to go up against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl in Minnesota. The Vikings might win a championship with Case Keenum. And then, it, what was it, 34 nothing from that point on or something? Yeah, it was, disc- it was horrible after that. But well, I know you mentioned this before, so it, it has to be talked about now. So, and I mentioned it before reviewing the game, Justin Jefferson makes probably one of the most incredible catches I've ever seen and a lot of people have ever seen. So I wanted to kind of ask this question. Dan Tracy, what catch was better? Odell Beckham against the Dallas Cowboys or Justin Jefferson against the Buffalo Bills? I feel like when you take everything into account, it's Justin Jefferson's. I think the athleticism was better on Odell's. You know, we know the way he got up in the air and got those th- – he, he literally secured that with three fingers. I don't want to take anything away from that. Absolutely not. More- you don't want to take anything away from I, – I, I, I feel the same way too, that I don't want to take – you know, this isn't us right. ragging on OBJ. It's yeah, no, no. an incredible catch on its own. But there was – I think there might have been even more athleticism for Odell. But with Justin Jefferson, if you look at the picture of it, you know, just the still photo of it. You, if you showed somebody that before the game, they would have said, oh, that's an interception. It, it looks like an interception. He's got one hand on the ball, and I don't even know who the corner was that went up there with him. The defender has two hands on the ball, and he uses his hand to pull it down into his body. I, and when they showed the replay, I was expecting it to, like, roll out onto the ground. Yep. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe the physics of it, that it was able to stay in his hand like that. Um, and then he gets the other hand on it. You know, when you consider... Um, the defender on him, although I, I will say with the Odell catch, I think there was pass interference on that too. So, was, yeah, you know, they, they, they both had to, had to battle a defender. I, um, I think in terms of – because I know a lot of people look at this two ways. A lot of people look at a catch as a catch. So because I, it's, it's funny that we're actually talking about this because, for, you know, over the weekend I was up early and whatever. I was just scrolling through YouTube and I watched the NFL, the top 100 catches in NFL history. Now, this was NFL Films that put it out last year. And number two was The Catch by Dwight Clark. And I thought to myself, that's fucking bullshit. All he did was just jump six inches off the ground and catch the ball. But a lot of people do consider the atmosphere of the game. Yeah. And the significance of the catch. Now, you know, that catch, whatever. Mike Clark, RIP, all you did was just jump up with two hands and catch the ball. That's just my opinion. But a lot of people say it's more about the throw and it's more about the play itself. If you take into account everything, fourth and 18, defender draped all over him. You, you, you know what I mean? This is a, a huge, a pivotal game for the Vikings. And you make that catch, man. That that's gotta be. I mean, I, I don't think that Odell Beckham's catch was the greatest of all time, but I do think that Justin Jefferson's catch was better than Odell Beckham, considering all the circumstances. Now, like I said before, I don't want to take anything away from Odell Beckham. Watching that watching that catch live was probably I, I don't what what year was that? 2014? 2014. 2014, I was oh god, how old was I? I was like 17 years old. I couldn't believe what I was watching when I saw that. It was like the craziest thing ever. Yesterday, I'm sitting in my own home, eight years later, with my dad on the couch. And it's so funny. He said as soon as the play ended, he was like, that's a catch. He freaking caught that. I'm like, there's no way. You know, like from the angle, I was like, there's no way he caught that ball. 
And then when they showed the replay, I was like, oh my God, he freaking caught that ball. That's unbelievable. And then, you, you know, like, not only that, he proceeds to make another incredible catch at, on, on that drive at the one yard line. He took a massive hit over the middle and somehow hung on to the ball too. And, you know, it's just, you just take in everything and you think, my God, like how can a player make a, a catch like that on such a grand stage? And hence why I think that's Antonio Holmes and David Tyree have the two greatest catches in NFL history. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something to really take in consideration. I thought that this wasn't really going to be a topic of conversation, but the sheer amount of people that were mentioning this on Twitter was insane. I mean, my whole feed was Justin Jefferson catch was better than OBJ or OBJ's was better than uh, it was crazy. But I think there's a legitimate case to be made that that catch is 100% better. And like you said, athleticism wise, it's probably OBJ. But when you consider everything into one, Probably got to be Justin Jefferson. You know, all that's missing was, you know, a, a playoffs or something. But it, yeah. it felt like a playoff atmosphere. And on the road, fourth and 18, those circumstances. Um, and he so he had that other catch uh, in the red zone. And then he had another one in overtime uh, mm-hmm. along the sideline, which actually, I mean, it was a great catch. But the throw from Kirk Cousins was uh, perfect. Kirk O'Chains, baby. Kirk O'Chains. And then they couldn't get it into the end zone, although uh, they went back and looked at uh, uh, what was it? A second and five or something? I, I don't know if it was fourth down or second down. Um, where Dalvin Cook wasn't able to take it in, and the Bills had twelve defenders on the field. So, <laughs> it, it, by rule, the Vikings actually probably should have won it uh, in overtime on the on that first drive. They should have had first and goal from the one uh, because the Bills legitimate. It's not like somebody was trying to get off the field. The Bills had twelve defenders lined up on the play. Where I think Dalvin Cook dropped the ball. Yes. Maybe that was it. Yes. I know what um, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like the defenders really affected it because I think they were more on the other side. It was that was a Dalvin Cook problem. But they should have, it should have been null. They should have had first and goal from the one. So, um, the whole point of that is to say Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson had this another, had another major connection, which was like beautiful to throw and catch in, in overtime. And it ended up not really meaning anything. Other than getting Greg Joseph closer, which I guess well, you got to get him I as close as possible. Um, uh, you know, we'll close it out. I say I I'll, I picked the Bills. Uh, I knew there was a possibility that I did Josh Allen would not play. I still picked the Bills because that's kind of that was my belief in the Vikings. But the Vikings went out and did it even with Josh Allen out there. Yeah, and then uh, moving on to the next game, which was a very surprising, an- another great game was the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. Now, early, this looked like it was going to be all Chicago. And I just want to say this one stat, and this is a testament to how unlucky the Bears are, maybe, is that maybe, and Justin Fields, too. Justin Fields is the first quarterback in NFL history to lead his team. He's breaking records, even in the negative. He's the first quarterback in NFL history to lead his team to 29-plus straight points on offense and lose the three games. This is completely what we didn't expect, right? Like if you said the Bears are going to be three and seven, gotcha. Like I was, I had them three and fourteen. Which, by the way, my my it's, it's still alive. It's still alive. If you know that that's pretty good. It's like okay, if I, I thought they were going to get the win yesterday, but I thought you so know too. now, of course, Bears fans might come after me if they get that fourth win because they did better than I projected. But to say okay, it took them until Thanksgiving roughly, you know, or longer, who knows, 
Uh, all right, that's 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 good for me. I'd say I, I'd say I did a fine job on that. But this is not the way we expected it. Three and seven makes sense. All of a sudden now, the the offense looks like one of the more productive offenses in football, and it's the defense after they traded Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith. They could legitimately be six and four right now. Yeah, but I, you know, three and seven is fine, and. I, I I would have thought maybe we'd even be saying, oh, they could be six and four based on like 12 to nine losses or something at this point. I just did not expect it to be through scoring 29 or 30 points every week and still blowing it. But all in all, this is much better for the book for the Bears. Oh, yeah. Than, than if they were losing games 10 to seven or something like that. Oh, yeah. The fact absolutely. That they look like they found their quarterback. The fact that Justin Fields might break Lamar Jackson's single season rushing record for a quarterback thanks to that 17th game. Uh, that That is huge, huge for the Bears. Now I they have to the, quarterback. The way that the Bears have been – I mean, I'll talk to, about Justin Fields in a minute, but the way that the Bears have been running the football as a team, I, they might break like the team record for most rushing yards in the season. They've been – I mean, yesterday it was more so Justin Fields than anyone else, but they've been legitimately running the ball extremely well, and that's something that – Going into the season, the number one concern for me, well, two, was the weapons and the offensive line. And the offensive line has played extremely better than I thought. And, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, it's easier to pass block off of run block. And that might be true, you know, but, hey, they could still fail at that, too. And they're not. That's the bottom line. They're still playing very, very well like that. And, you know, I got to sort of, you know, take back some of the things I said about Justin Fields, because as much as I want to come out on here and say, oh, well, you know, he's more of an athlete than he is a quarterback. Uh, you know, uh, they, the reason why they're winning or putting themselves in position to win is because they're taking the ball out of his hand more and letting him run it. This is kind of sounding like the same conversation we had about Lamar Jackson his first year or his second year where it was like, oh, well, if you let him run the ball 20 times, of course they're going to win. I guess at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. If you're putting – he is putting the Bears in position to win football games. And not only that, he is the highest scoring quarterback, not only in fantasy, but just in general over the last five weeks, if you take into account all of his touchdowns in the NFL. He's the highest scoring player over the last five weeks. And five weeks is a, is a significant sample size as well. So. Is he turning a corner? Absolutely. Can he regress and go right back? I don't really think that's possible. And the reason why is because the Bears have found an offensive system that works so well for them. If you listen, he had more rushing attempts than completions yesterday. But at the end of the day, he ran the ball 14 times, but he was also 13 of 17 passing. You know, it's not like he was 13 of 38 passing, you know, like where it was, oh God, he's still awful. They're using it to a point where he can play extremely well off play action. He, I mean, he had a really bad turnover yesterday that ultimately helped them in their loss. He threw a pick six. But really, that's the only throw of the last four weeks where I can go, oh, well, that's Justin Fields being Justin Fields. As much as I'm looking for negatives, I really can't find it. The only negative that I – well, two negatives I could say about the Chicago Bears is that they somehow lost that game yesterday. And Chase Claypool has looked horrible through his first two games as a Chicago Bear. Yeah. And they gave up that second round pick for him that now continues to get even higher. Yep. 
Um, I'll give I'll give some credit to the Lions defense. Uh, did they play well altogether? Not really. No. <laughs> did they make plays when they needed to? Yes. Yeah. They got that pick six by Jeff Okuda. Uh, that that really that that won the game for them in the end. Um, mm-hmm. Ended up tying the game. Uh, and then they got they got a stop when they needed it. The Bears had plenty of time when they went up 31-30, uh, The Lions. The Bears had plenty of time to go down the field and get a field goal. And with the way Justin Fields is running. Uh, you felt like that was what was going to happen, and they they were they stopped them in Chicago. You know, on the road, tough environment, cold um, for an indoor team, and the defense got the job done in the end. And I guess that's what matters is if you can come up and make those plays, get those stops, and those big moments. Um, that may be what takes the Lions from close to winning games to winning games, and that's why they've they did it last week too against the Packers. Defense played great, yeah. but in the end, they stopped them when they needed to. You know, they, they played great the whole day, but the fact that they, in those closing moments, they weren't intimidated by Aaron Rodgers was what stood out to me the most. Same deal yeah. this week, two weeks in a row that the Lions defense actually closed out a game. Um, yeah. And that's why you have them on their first win streak of the Dan Campbell era. Yeah. And you take into account another factor that might be, you know, minute compared to everything else, but you think about it this time last year, and this is when Amon Ross St. Brown started to come into his own. And he could have easily rolled over and died again. You know, you know what I'm saying? But yesterday, 10 catches, 117 yards was really the only wide receiver that was getting himself legitimately open. You know, he was a guy that got that kept him in a lot of games last year. It's not out of the realm of possibility to think that, hey, you know. If they could rattle off a couple wins here and there off the back of Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown and if DeAndre – I mean, Jamal Williams is looking like like the signing, you know, like the, the yeah. a perfect tandem between if – if you can get them both healthy at the same time and split carries, that is something that you could really, really carry your offense on is DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. But then throwing the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown with Jared Goff and then your defense is closing out games as well. This is kind of sort of the progress that we expected to see earlier on out of the Detroit Lions, and it took a little bit of time. But if they can continue to play like this, then, you know, then there's real improvement. I mean, this, this is a guy saying this that just came on last week and saying that their 3-14 and 14 season last year might be more impressive than a 7-10 and 10 season. And it, it, it did hold some legitimacy. It did. But, you know, now as the weeks go on, it's not looking as legitimate. But if they can continue to play these close games and, and you know, like you said, their defense actually closes out a couple wins, you know, Dan Campbell's seat gets a little bit less hot as the weeks go on. Now you got to figure it's ice cold after these two wins back-to-back uh, <laughs> against division rivals nonetheless. But um, from the Bears' side of it, I guess you don't really care about the wins. Or, like, granted, when you're in a winning position all game and then you wind up losing, pretty devastating. But you, you, you got to just kind of take the steps that Justin Fields is taking towards being a legitimate franchise quarterback. You got to take it and run with it if you're if you're the Chicago Bears. So I guess, you know, devastating loss, but it is what it is. You're seeing massive progression every single week out of your presumably franchise quarterback. So I did pick the Bears, actually. Uh, I went on about four weeks ago and I said that I would never pick the Bears this season, but I thought... The way that the Bears' offense was playing against the Detroit Lions' defense, I thought it would be a, a you know a lock, <laughs> and it was for like fifty-eight minutes. Yeah, I, I thought they were relatively closely matched, but I thought maybe the Lions win in Detroit later in the year, the Bears win in Chicago. Pretty easy choice for me, and 
uh, it did not work out. So actually, I'm I'm 0 for four so far. Wow. So I'm I'm I'm. Uh, but, but we got a few good ones coming. Yeah, I'm I'm two and two up until this point. Moving on to the next game, and I'm not gonna lie, we could spend 30 30 seconds on this game because I didn't watch a single snap of this game because I knew that this game was either gonna end up 17 to 10 or six to three because these two teams have to. I mean, like. It feels like the Russell Wilson experiment in Denver is like almost over already, and he just signed a massive extension. Like I feel like they'll be regretting that for quite some time. But Tennessee has to be. What are they now? Uh, six and three. Six. I mean, they have to be the most boring six and three team I've ever seen. I, and this is a team that has won six of their last seven games, and it is just like the ugliest football you've ever seen. You look at their offense, and it's like. How, how are they winning games? But then you look at how good their defense has been playing, and that's how you realize how 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 good they've been playing. I mean, I, what can I say? I picked the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> I, I picked the Titans. Two bad offenses, and the only my only takeaway is you kind of wonder if they had just paid AJ Brown, what kind of difference would that make? I mean, look at how good the defense is. You feel like okay, how long is this window to win? with Ryan Tannehill, not that they're going to really win a championship with him, but um, you know, the only way you can keep yourself in that conversation is if you have weapons, you know, great offensive line. They just, they don't have the offense right now. They seem to think that Derrick Henry can do it all. And he can't because he's, he's a running back. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to throw the ball at some point. And uh, the fact that, that they don't have any, any weapons for Ryan Tannehill is the, the biggest issue right now. Yeah. Um, that game sucked. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The next game, I I didn't really watch any of it either because I just thought it was going to be, you know, 34 to nothing or something like that. A little bit closer than than expected. But when you watch the highlights, you kind of think to yourself, like, eh, it really wasn't that close. It started out it started out looking like it was going to be that kind of cheap. It was 20 to nothing at halftime. Right. Uh, and then they let them back into it. Actually, Trevor Lawrence led a couple – he led one really nice drive. Um, and then I, he might have, he might have led two, and then Patrick Mahomes threw a rare interception in a situation like that uh, to kind of open the open the door back open uh, open the door again for the uh, for the Jaguars. Um, but in the end, Chiefs are just better. I mean, that was it, right? Like the Jaguars put in their best effort. Trevor Lawrence looked like a decent quarterback most of the day, but there was no stopping that that Chiefs offense when they actually needed to. Um, nothing, nothing surprising here. In fact, I think the line was 10 points or maybe nine and a half and they ended up winning by 10. So Vegas wins that one because they got that one right. And Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP favorite. Maybe I would, I would have to say so yesterday. I would have to say so for sure. I mean, Josh Allen's throwing himself the last couple of weeks right out of the, the sure MVP. Um, a couple of th- one thing I really wanted to touch on was the integration of Kadarius Tony right away. 90 total yards and a touchdown. Great five, four catches, 57 yards and a touchdown. Two rushes, 33 yards. He is a player that I, I, this might sound crazy, but if you watch his highlights and you watch how he was in college, this is someone that if you get him going could legitimately be the toughest person to tackle in the open field in the NFL. He is that dynamic with the ball in his hands. And the Giants just couldn't understand how to do that. He was also injured for 90% of the time he was there. I don't blame them for getting rid of him. But you just gave Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid a Swiss Army knife on offense 
when their offense was already exploding with guys that you didn't think it was going to explode with. So, you know, now you add Kadarius Tony to Travis Kelsey, MVS, uh, Juju, if he's not seriously injured, because that was pretty scary. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Noah Gray is getting involved in the offense, too. This is a Chiefs team that is scary. It's scary right now because now it's not just now it's not just Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Now you're like, well, where's Miko Hardman? Where's Travis Kelsey? Where's MVS? Where's Juju? Where's Kadarius Tony? Where's Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Where's, where's Isaiah Pacheco? Where's Noah Gray? Like there's legitimately seven or eight weapons on this offense now. And you're like, whoa, this is getting kind of crazy. We're entering that territory where it's like this offense just is absolutely unstoppable at this point. Yeah, they thrive on that. I think they knew in the offseason. We're not replacing Tyreek Hill. You, you don't go out and just replace uh, Tyreek Hill with one guy. So they changed it up. They said that their new plan is, you know, this is what they what I'm assuming that their plan was, to go out and just confuse defenses. They're, they're throwing the ball to eight or nine different guys a game. I think uh, one of those games, maybe the Titans game, they he threw it to – he targeted nine receivers like in the first quarter and a half or something like that, nine different players. They're just trying to, to – Get a collection of guys that Patrick Mahomes trusts and let them run. They let them do their thing. And uh, so, look, the number one team in the AFC. Ten different guys were targeted yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that's – and and if you – I guarantee you uh, it was that way after like a quarter and a half that he had targeted most or all of them. They get everybody involved right away. In fact, I think Kadarius Tony had a pretty early touchdown, right? Yeah, it was the, the – I think the first touchdown of the game was Kadarius yeah. Tony. They get those guys involved early and often, every single one of them. That's what throws defenses off. There was 12 guys Twelve guys targeted last week. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it kind of, kind of reminds me of what the Saints have tried to do. Um, you know, even, even the year when Michael Thomas had all those receptions, every, they really split it between, like, everybody else. Drew Brees mm-hmm. is throwing to all these different guys. Last year when they had Jameis and then whoever else, they were throwing to, like, eight, eight or nine different guys. Uh, it confuses teams when you do it that way. You may not have the most talented receivers, uh, but it, it throws off defenses. It's kind of a an interesting strategy to have when you don't have that number one guy. You just throw it to everybody. For sure. And and listen, you have the best quarterback in the NFL to do that. You know, it's not like you're going out there and asking Zach Wilson to hit 13 different guys. You're asking Patrick Mahomes to go, hey, let's incorporate everyone. And you know that he has the play extendability and, and you know, everything to to get the ball to those guys. So it's just the high the highest power offense in the NFL clicking on all cylinders right now. I think I honestly think it was I think it was I misspoke before. It was 20 to 7 at halftime. I think this game could have easily the, the the Chiefs could have easily scored like 50 points on the on the Jaguars. And I just, I just think they decided not to. This is, I would love to see, I would love to see this team go 100% for an entire game. I would love to see that because, I mean, I guess you could argue maybe last week against Tennessee because Patrick Mahomes threw for like 460 yards, but he also threw the ball 68 times, which is like the second most of all time in a game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I would just love to see what it looks like, how many points they could score. You know when they're when they're going to hundred all day, but I did pick the Chiefs. I'm sure you did too. I did too. Moving on, uh, this was my lock of the week, and uh, not never a doubt, never a doubt, never a doubt, never a doubt. The uh, Miami Dolphins. I had minus three and a half over the Cleveland Browns. The final score thirty nine seventeen. Um, again, I feel like we're in this similar situation, 
every single week where we're just saying this is just Tua playing great football and this offense being incredibly high-powered. And now they added someone like Jeff Wilson to this offense who, you know, you kind of thought was going to split carries with Raheem Mostert and has up until this point. But I'm looking at these stats right now. You got 33 rushing attempts for the entire team. First off, they had – whoa, I didn't even see this. They had six different guys attempt a rush yesterday. Jeff Wilson, 17 carries, 119 yards and a touchdown to go with two catches for 24 yards as well. Raheem Mostert got in there, eight carries, 65 yards. I mean, they're playing the run off the pass, and it is working to an insane level. You know, this is – you have to respect the pass. When you have all these weapons on offense, I could go out there and probably run for 100 yards behind, you know, behind Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and those guys. You have to respect them. and. I mean, Mike, Mike McDaniel and this offense is 100% on the same page. And it, it's getting to the point where it's kind of ridiculous every week where you kind of, you kind of expect the Miami Dolphins to cover the spread on their own. It's like it, That's basically what it's getting to. 39 points. It didn't even look close. Tua is firmly in the MVP category. That was going to be my question to you because we just mentioned MVP. Firmly. Firmly. You said Allen is out for now. But, yeah, I mean, two every week is throwing three touchdowns. Firmly. I was going to say, do you think – so, okay, it's a 17-game season. Missing two and a half games naturally hurts anyone's MVP candidacy. But in a way, it's kind of helping to He's 7-0 when he plays a full game. That's if he if he goes on to be a legitimate MVP candidate at the end of the year, I think that stat is going to be the biggest thing in his favor. Is that you know whatever the record ends up being, uh, it's almost Thanksgiving and they are undefeated when he starts and they are yeah. winless when he doesn't start. If I have that right, uh, every week he's going out there and throwing three touchdown passes, three hundred yeah. yards, beating up on teams. Um, and before I'm going to have you comment on that, but um, before that, I have to say this. Running game is exactly what I thought we'd get out of this offense. This is this is the Kyle Shanahan offense. Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. is a Shanahan guy. He's always been. I thought, okay, of course, two is going to throw the ball a bit. You have to when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. But if you can get, they brought in Raheem Mostert, who knows the four, not the Shanahan offense well. Now they have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. For those of you who, uh, well, even if you're watching or you're, or you're, li- <laughs> if you're listening, I, I was going through the stats of this game and I clicked on Tyreek Hill and I saw his picture on ESPN and it was too funny. So I zoomed all the way in on it and I sent it to Dan as he was talking. So I promise he's much happier than that when he's <laughs> out there on the field. I've never seen that before. That's why I was like, I looked at it and I was like, why, why did he make that face? But if uh, I'm actually on YouTube, I'm going to put that. I'm going to superimpose it on the screen. And I'll, 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 you'll be able to see what we're talking about. But I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't even know what you were talking about because I was just waiting for your reaction. You have to make that, you have to make that the thumbnail for the, the YouTube <laughs> I am going to make that the thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, what I was saying, but besides two and maybe being the MVP, uh, is this is exactly what I expected from the Mike McDaniel offense. It just took nine nine or ten weeks to get there. They brought in Raheem Mostert, who knows that Shanahan offense really well, and then they do this sneaky good trade for Jeff Wilson, yeah. who of course knows the Shanahan offense brilliantly. Now you've got two guys who already know the scheme, 
and all of a sudden they're clicking. The offensive line is playing better. They're running the ball more. This was my concern at the beginning of the year when they had Chase Edmonds. You know, they're throwing the ball so well. But you have Chase Edmonds running for something like 29 yards on 11 carries. And Salvin Ahmed and, and Miles yeah, Gaskin. Not, not and, sustainable. Not sustainable. This, this, sustainable. this kind of makes it look like a championship type of offense. When you've already got that passing game and now you're running for 150 yards, I know they're not going to do that every week. But this, I think Jeff Wilson might end up being the sneaky great trade of the year. Just Can based say, on it. Let, let me say one thing. And this is to all my fantasy haters out there. Okay? I'm just going to throw this out there. I made a trade last week that got burnt to a crisp, everyone that I talked to. I traded Joe Burrow and Devontae Adams. Okay? And I got back. Well, it doesn't start off great. I got back Deshaun Watson. Not great. Got back to Sean Watson, Amari Cooper, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Jeff Wilson. And everyone said, well, this guy obviously is tanking because what kind of trade was that? And mind you, I'm 2-0 and after that trade, and all those players are is because of it. Just saying that Jeff Wilson is playing is going to be that guy. Like you just said, he's going to be the sneaky trade of the year, I feel like, because he knows that that kind of – I didn't even know that that trade went through until like two hours after the trade deadline. I was like, oh, how about because, that? Because they got, they got Bradley Chubb like 10 minutes before. Yeah. So I, I didn't even see that. And this is – listen, this is a scary Miami Dolphins team. If they could play offense like this where you could run off the pass like they've been doing, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a team that, that's going to be equipped to stop something like that or stop it enough to edge them out in the victory. This is a very scary Miami Dolphins team, and I think we're kind of um, – we're underselling them, not just us, everyone. We're underselling them up until this point. Once playoff time comes around, they are this year's Cincinnati Bengals, it feels like. And by the way, they're up to the number two seed in the AFC. The Jets can knock them out next week. They can. The Jets can take the AFC East lead next week. If they oh, the God, that is something insane to say. <laughs> I know, because the Dolphins are uh, on a bye week, I believe. But right now, if the season ended today, it would be Chiefs and Dolphins and Titans atop the AFC. That's insane. Um, fucking the, the fucking Titans always find themselves up there. Well, you can blame the AFC South. Um, God, I've got man. nothing to say about the Browns. I, you know, yeah, they're, two, they're two weeks away from Deshaun Watson coming back. Yes, and that's they, where the other part of my trade comes into play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way they're playing, I, I, the expectations should not be high for him when he comes back. It's not even his fault. Uh, they've got a lot. They've got a lot of issues. However, Nick Chubb continues to look like one of the NFL's best running backs. My top five. All right, we talked about it, so I'm just going to throw it out there. My top yeah. five MVP candidates so far. Uh, this is purely offensive. I'm not even taking into account some defensive guys that could be there. Like you think of Matthew Judon could be there, but that's what Defensive Player of the Year is for. Let's face it, MVP is a quarterback's award, really. Let's, yeah, I can understand somebody like Aaron Donald or even TJ Watt last year being in the conversation, but not yeah. this year. Aaron Donald, they're both not, you know, Watt's been hurt, and Donald hasn't been that guy. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, don't, so I think this, this year that's – you don't even need a disclaimer. This is this is my top five. In order, Patrick Mahomes, Tua, Josh Allen, Tyreek Hill, Nick Chubb. That's my top five MVP. Now, Justin Jefferson doesn't get any – Mentioned after yesterday, even after yesterday, with the three catches, Tough. not just one, but those three great catches. Tough. Tough. I think what I mean, don't get me wrong. Justin Jefferson is amazing and he's having a great year. 
But the fact that Tyreek Hill's worst game came yesterday and he still managed a touchdown and they had three guys on him basically, and he's almost at 1,200 yards through 10 games is pretty remarkable. And I think, honestly, I think if his touchdown numbers were a little bit higher, he's only got four receiving touchdowns so far this year. If he was at that like like seven, eight, or nine so far with those numbers, I think he'd be even higher on the MVP list. But that's my top five for now. I think offensive player of the year is going to be great. Uh, a great race, probably probably between Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson. Yeah, that that race is going to be fun. I, a quarterback is not going to win it. Uh, offensive no. Player of the Year is sometimes won by the MVP, but that's usually when somebody it's has so a completely dominant yeah. season, like Mahomes twenty eighteen, Peyton Manning twenty thirteen. Uh, it's probably going to be Tyreek Hill or Justin Jefferson this year for Offensive Player of the Year. MVP, I think I'm right there with you with uh, with uh, Mahomes right at the top. Um, two is pretty close behind. I'm not yet ready to say Jalen Hurts. I know a lot of people. He needs the numbers. I, I just don't think he has the he has the sheer numbers to be up there. They have the wins. Um, and that's no disrespect to Jalen Hurts because he's having a great season. I feel no, the same way you but, are too. But you know, eventually you need numbers. Part of it is that they haven't really needed him to throw the ball that much. Yeah. Because they build up these leads on some of these games. Now you had what? You had Allen's third. I had Josh Allen third. Yeah. So that's probably as high as I put him. Um, but it's, it's also hard to think of somebody you'd put ahead of him. So he may be there at this point. Uh, yeah. But if you look at their numbers, Geno Smith is not that far off. From like <laughs> I, 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 you know, when I said it, I knew that there was somehow going to be a Geno Smith just slipping, right? 17 touchdowns, there. four interceptions. They're winning way more than expected. He's been efficient. <laughs> You, you know, he's not going to win MVP, but I mean, <laughs> it's, it's to the point where if Josh Allen keeps throwing these costly interceptions, you've got to start considering the guy who's not throwing the interceptions. But I think Mahomes – listen, Mahomes, it's, it's his award to lose right now, but he's got nine interceptions. You come out and throw two or three next week, and all of a sudden you're leading the league in interceptions. Who, oh, Mahomes? I thought he only had seven. I thought he was up to nine by now. If I'm wrong on that, then I'm wrong on that. He's also got 25 uh, touchdowns and almost 3,000 passing yards. 25 touchdowns is why he's up there. No, he does have seven interceptions, so there's that. Um, he's got three game, four games in a row with a pick, too. But I look at those yards. Yeah, when you throw, I mean, he's probably thrown the ball like 200 times over yeah, the last Yeah, I guess that's games. the thing, is in a year where offense is not as high as it used to be, four weeks in a row where he's over 330 passing yards. Yeah, but – I mean, yeah, when, when you throw the ball that much, your numbers are obviously skewed. But it, you know what's funny? They just run so many plays because if you look, I'm pretty sure I have it right here. I'm pretty sure they, they ran the ball a significant amount. They ran the ball 27 times. So it, it was pretty well balanced yesterday for the Chiefs. It was 35 to 27 in favor of the pass. So that's pretty balanced for them. But, um, you know, we, we got kind of on a little bit of a – uh, uh, broadened horizon there, but well, moving on to this. This next game is not not. Special. Well, yeah. Well, actually, really, the next two games aren't really anything oh, yeah. to write home about. But uh, speaking of the Giants and the Texans, this was oddly a closer game than I thought. Uh, this was Dan's uh, lock of the week. He nailed it as well. I believe through I believe through ten weeks, I only have nine picks because I was a silly goose and didn't make one in week one. Uh, I am six and three, and I'm pretty sure Dan is six and four after ten weeks. So, um, 
So pretty neck and neck. I feel like my record is just going to go wherever the Jets go because that's been the same thing with fantasy too. The Jets win, I win. The Jets lose, I lose. Like it, I just feel like that's how it goes. But uh, this was your lock of the week, and I'm not going to lie. I did watch a significant amount, amount of this game. I don't know why I would subject myself to that kind of torture, but this was probably – this was the greatest outcome that could have happened. 24 to 16 is probably 38 points more than I thought that they would score combined. I mean, th- these two offenses, it's so painful to watch the Giants on offense. It is just like – at least Davis Mills attempts some throws downfield. Attempts is a loose term. But, I mean, Daniel Jones is consistently rolling out and throwing the ball two yards past the line of scrimmage. It's just so, – and then it's a Saquon Barkley run, Saquon Barkley run, Saquon Barkley run, Matt Britter run. It's, it's like, oh, my goodness gracious. It's just so painful. <laughs> And but it, it it worked for them yesterday. I mean, it is the Texans, but that's why it was my lock of the week. If Saquon Barkley had what 144 rushing yards, uh, the fact that he can be a workhorse, he carried the ball like 32 times. The fact that after all those injuries, he can be a workhorse for them is huge. Yeah, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier in the year that they needed to get some receivers. They did not. They didn't get receivers. So I'm a, little worried. I'm a little worried about how Saquon's going to hold up um, down the stretch. But so far, so good. He can win these kind of games. Uh, and they did a really good job of stopping Damian Pierce aside from one run. He had one run that was like 56 yards. Other yeah. than that, Pierce was really inefficient. Uh, the only time they actually moved the ball beyond that was Davis Mills. He had, Davis Mills had a few good passes. Uh, he had a, a beautiful one to Nico Collins, too. Yeah, yeah, that touchdown was really, really nice. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, of course, he made he made his share of mistakes, too, because he's Davis Mills. He's 316-1 now as a starter. Oh Not God. all his fault, but a lot of it is. But the the Giants, again, this is an example of where, yes, neither team is extremely talented. The Giants are just better coached. Uh, I thought Daniel Jones made some good decisions yesterday. Giants some are 7-2. Giants are 7-2. and two Somehow. With, with, with all of those issues that you talked about. Um, but I, it's another example of them being well coached and them just being yes. the better coached team. I, I don't know why the Texans hired Lovey Smith. I'd still love an explanation from them. He's got a that. great beard. He's got a great beard. In fact, if you've seen uh, Nets, in, Nets, new Nets coach Jacques Vaughn, he looks identical to Lovey Smith. They're about twenty years apart. Look up Jacques Vaughn with the uh, with the beard. He's got the half gray, half black beard. They look so similar. But while, while you're looking that up, <clears throat> I'm going to say the the Texans. Well, Lovey Smith said today they they he did a media availability. He said he thinks they're close. Lovey Smith thinks the Texans are close and. Close to what? Being the number one overall pick? And the the Twitter comments were hilarious. Oh, my God. They do look a lot alike. Oh, my God. The Twitter comments said they're close to Bryce Young. Uh, (laughs) They're close to firing Lovey Smith. They're close to getting number one pick. Uh, Close to to January 8th, somebody said. let's, let's, Let's be real. What the hell do you want the man to say? Yeah, we really suck. Like, what do you want him to say? Like, of course he's going to say something like that. Like, I mean, like, would I respect him for going out and saying that? Absolutely. But is that something that you say as an NFL head coach? No, that's not something that you say as a, as a peewee coach. You don't go, ah, you know what? We really sucked out there today. Terrible job, guys. You know, like, no, if my team's 1-7-1, and one, I might go out and just say that. Uh, you so, you got to do something to shake it up. I don't think that in a locker room that probably already thinks that he didn't deserve the job, I don't think going out there and going, my guys blow, 
I don't think that, I don't think it's a very good idea. Yeah, Brandon <laughs> Cooks has already like left the team once. You don't want him to leave again. Did you see? I thought it was so funny. They, they literally had like a side story on how they stripped him of the captaincy and gave it to Davis Mills, and they were like, "Yeah, well, Lovey Smith went out there and said we can't have someone like that on this team as a captain." And it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> all right, if that's what you want to do, you want to piss off your best offensive player besides for probably Damian Pierce or Loremi Tunsil. Okay, but whatever. The, the Texans are a disaster. Uh, the fact that they even got one win, considering how they've played so far this year, is a miracle, honestly. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad that you – I'm really glad that you won that because I would clown you pretty hard if, if the Texans somehow covered that. But Yeah, I got a little worried there. But, the, but the, you know what? They kept making mistakes that prevented it from happening. And I guess <laughs> in the end, that's my logic behind picking the Giants is – the Texans are going to make all those mistakes and probably blow it. And sure enough. And, and that's what they did. Yep. Uh, moving on to the next game here, kind of similar to the uh, the Titans and, and the Broncos. Oh, I, I picked the Giants, by the way, if you guys couldn't tell. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, the Steelers and the Saints, I picked the Saints because I thought for sure that this would be a nice bounce back game. And it wasn't. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a great game for either team, but. Uh, I mean, I guess Kenny Pickett had a good game. Like, I don't really know what to say about this game. game. He didn't turn the ball over, which is the first time in his career that he didn't turn the ball over in a game, I'm pretty sure. That's a positive. Najee Harris actually had more than 17 rushing yards in the game. That's good as well. Um, They got – T.J. Watt is back. T.J. Watt is back. Let me see what his – T.J. Watt had – Four tackles, didn't have a sack, but I'm sure he had a couple of pressures in there. Um, another thing, too, I will I will say this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. Kenny Pickett targeted nine different receivers. Another thing, trying to spread the ball around. Uh, this is not an easy team to play against either. I know that the Saints are three and seven now, but this is a team that has a very solid defense as well. So not, not an easy team to beat. Um, you know, Deontay Johnson got back in the mix as well. Not really too many things I could take away from this, honestly. Uh, Kenny Pickett is more of a runner than I thought he would be. He had 51 rushing yards and a touchdown. He has more rushing touchdowns than passing touchdowns this season, which is uh, interesting. Uh, and on the same side, I think it's safe to say that we can go back to Jameis Winston. Yeah, I mean, you know, Andy Dalton, he, he had them score 24 points or more in five games in a row. And who did they lose to last week? Do you remember? Either uh, way. I'm going to go back and look because okay, it's going to bother me if I don't. I believe it was a good performance, and then this week was rough. Uh, they lost to the uh, Ravens on Monday Night Football. Oh, right. Yeah, no, that was a bad – that was just a bad performance all around by the offense. So two weeks in a row – yeah, that's why I don't remember because I barely paid attention to that game. I didn't. I don't even think I watched a single minute yeah, of that it, game. It was, it was not good. Um, it looked like <laughs> it they had a wall offensively. I'd probably give Andy Dalton another start because he did have the offense moving five out of seven games that he started. Um, and he's still not exactly turning over the ball that much. But it, it, they're headed nowhere officially at three and seven. I mean, they're, they're, they're last in the division now because the, the Panthers have the tiebreaker over them for the moment. Um, I actually picked the Steelers in this game. This is a, a pick I'm proud of, and I'm proud of it because I'm constantly picking the Saints this year. Uh, yeah, I, I picked them 
I even picked them over the Ravens, mostly because oh, of the Lord. injuries, the market oh, injuries God. and all that. <laughs> uh, so I, I think I picked the Saints all but like one or two weeks. Uh, so the fact that I said, okay, I'm going to take the two and six Steelers is something I can be proud of. You know, the reason being kind of what you described is that it, it's a very tough environment in Pittsburgh. TJ Watt is the rare uh, defensive player that completely transforms the team, and he really does. Uh, he completely changes that defense. It, it felt like the Saints were up against it in in – I was about to say in Heinz Field at Acrosure Stadium in Pittsburgh. It was a cold day too. They're an indoor team. Um, I, I don't think this says a lot about either, either team. I don't think the win really means too much for the Steelers, although it is good for Kenny Pickett to have a turnover-free game under him. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what they can do the rest of the year. They're going to have tough games. If they can manage to finish 7-10, and 10, I'll be impressed if they go 4-4 four and four over the final eight. Yeah, very true. I mean, this is just one of those, like, I, to be honest with you, after the first score, I didn't even I didn't remember that this game was on. This like, was I, a really good a really good matchup. Uh, like what was it three or four years ago? When back when uh, yeah Antonio Brown was on the Steelers and Drew Brees was leading the Saints, they actually played a really good game. Uh, we are far, very far removed from from those days. Now this is something that I'm so excited to talk about. The next game we have. The fighting Jeff Saturdays. Now, it's not the Indianapolis Colts anymore, Dan. For the rest of the season, this team's name is the fighting Jeff Saturdays. That is their team name. So we have the fighting Jeff Saturdays in Jeff Saturdays coaching debut, literally coaching debut. Like, not Pop Warner, not middle school, high school, college. The NFL is his coaching debut. And beats literally the one team that I'm pretty sure that he can go out and beat is the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, it was the perfect matchup for him to, to get. I mean, any really anyone. If I or you went out there and had our coaching debut, I wouldn't feel confident against any team, even the Texans, more than the Raiders. This is a team that, and especially with Josh McDaniels at the helm, they consistently just shoot themselves in the foot every single time. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I don't know why I'm so giddy to talk about this. Maybe it's because I came up with a great nickname for them in the fighting Jeff Saturdays, but the fact that he won too, and also a thing that I saw yesterday that was hilarious was Bill Cowher's response to Jeff Saturday being the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Literally just like, you know how he has like a mangled up face to begin with? He just got his like jaw crooked over to the side and he was like, Having Jeff Saturday as a coach is a disgrace to coaching. And then Jeff Saturday drags his nuts all over Bill Cowher's face and just goes, you know what? I just wanted my coaching debut with no prior experience. Is the greatest thing ever. Did you see? So um, Pat McAfee is a big supporter of Jeff Saturday. He played with him for a few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And every time that the Colts did something positive, Pat McAfee tweeted out a gif of either Bill Cowher uh, celebrating or Joe Thomas celebrating because Joe Thomas had another rant that went viral where he got all up on his high horse uh, about how Jeff Saturday cannot become a coach over the qualified candidates, uh, even though he's an interim coach. Um, so he tweeted out a gif of Joe Thomas half the time and the other half, uh, Bill Cower. Uh, you know what? If I was, you know, that, that gives me an idea, Dan. That gives me an idea. If I was Jeff Saturday and Jim Ursay. I I make a mockery of the rest of this season. I hire Pat McAfee as my special teams coach. 
Peyton Manning is the quarterback coach. He could stay on the Manning cast. He could call the plays in from the Manning cast. Yeah, Peyton Manning come back. Reggie, um, I was going to say Reggie Wayne is your defensive coordinator. Reggie Wayne is your offensive coordinator. Robert Mathis as your defensive coordinator. Let's just bring back all the players that have no coaching experience and see where this Indianapolis, oh, excuse me, the fighting Jeff Saturdays can go. Because I swear to God, nothing would make me, the only thing that would make me happier is the Jets making the playoffs. If the Indianapolis Colts somehow turn around and somehow end up over 500 or Jeff Saturday does a good enough job to keep this job, it is going to be the, the comeback story of the century. It's going to, it's going to change things. I think there's a lot, I think there's a big reason why coaches like Bill Cowher are rooting against it, against his success. Because if he, if he steps in and does well, um, it's not that, it's not that coaches, it's not that owners before, um, never had a thought of hiring an outside-the-box candidate. They've always had those thoughts. Now you're not going to be – you don't have to fear the criticism anymore. Yeah. Jeff Saturday, if he's successful, will open the door for these random candidates uh, to come in. And, you know, if, if, if he does do well, owners are going to say, well, look, we're just trying to win. And yeah, it's unfortunate that other guys have gone through the ranks and didn't make it. But, look, it, it worked for them. This is, a, this is about winning. Uh, it's going to change things if he's successful. Jim Ursay tweeted an hour ago. Um, he said, all you critics, you criticize all of us in the NFL for losing. When we when we make moves to win, you act so righteous. Um, and he ended up closing it right. with just win, baby. All right, Jim. Take it easy. But, <laughs> I mean, listen, for this week, he could say whatever he wants because he, they, they won. And you know what? Not only did they win, this offense – and I actually, I actually applaud Jeff Saturday – for starting Matt Ryan again. And the reason why is because I really didn't think that Matt Ryan deserved to be benched. This was a team that we, that after the first few weeks of the season was kind of apparent that they weren't really going anywhere fast. Why not just, you traded a second and a third round pick for Matt Ryan. Why are you benching him for Texas reject Sam Ellinger? I, I will not know why that was, that, that kind of reminded me speaking of Gino, somehow Geno Smith gets put into this conversation again, but that was like the one time that Ben McAdoo benched Eli Manning to see what Geno Smith can do. It's like, we all know what Geno Smith can do. Well, at that time, we all knew what Geno Smith could do. Why are you starting him? Kind of the same thing with Sam Ellinger. We're like, well, we know what this guy can do. He's not going to do anything. And, and, you know, just, you might as well start Matt Ryan. And he played well, you know, Jonathan Taylor finally showed up for a football game. The defense only gave up 20 points. You know, just saying, if these players play the way that they're supposed to, the AFC South is not that great. I'm not saying that they're going to win the division because I think that the that even even though the Titans suck or, or like the worst six and three team, I don't. I think their lead is like is, is too far gone. Well, so I think they've I think they've beaten them twice. Yeah, so I think they've got the tiebreaker locked up. Yeah, I think it's too far gone. But you can make some noise, end up second with like a like a close to 500 record. I think you kind of have to give Jeff Saturday the job to be honest yeah, with you. They're one game out of a playoff spot. They're oh. behind the because of the Chargers loss. Um, the, the only thing is they trail a few teams because the, the Patriots are seventh now at five and four, and then the Chargers and Bengals are both five and four. You know what? The fighting Jeff Sat like I'm gonna root for the fighting Jeff Saturdays this year as hard as I'm rooting for the Jets. I want to see them make the playoffs. I want to see Jeff Saturday make the playoffs as, as a random hobo head coach. So, so Jets get the let's say Jets get the two seed and Colts get the seven seed. How about that? <laughs> Listen. 
Dream scenario. It's not the Colts. It's the Fighting Jeff Saturdays. <laughs> the Fighting Jeff Saturdays. That's right. Um, for the Raiders, I mean, we said this over text. I'll say it again. I can't wait until Josh McDaniels is, you know, the New England Patriots offensive coordinator for the like fifth time in his career. I, it's it's apparent that he's a horrible head coach. I mean, either that or he should just stay away from the AFC West because the two times that he's he's coached for the AFC West, it hasn't ended up well so far. But this is a, a consistently disappointing team. Derek Carr will not be the quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders next year. Uh, it, it's just a mess. It, it's just a mess. Actually, Derek Carr might be the head, might be the the starting quarterback of the Fighting Jeff Saturdays next year. You never know. Uh, I don't really have too much to say about the Raiders. They are a disaster, and they are crashing closer and closer to that number one overall pick as the weeks go on. All I'll say is this is what Mark Davis said today, the owner of the Raiders. Oh, I'm sure um, it's bad. No, he's well, depends what side you're on. Uh, if you're Josh McDaniels, it's good. He said, I like Josh. I think he's doing a fantastic job. That's why I hired him. We did an exhaustive search and found the person we believe is going to bring the Raiders to greatness. Uh, so he got a vote of confidence today, Josh McDaniels. And we'll, we'll, we will revisit this. Um, see, the season ends January 8th. We'll see on January 9th if he's still, if Mark Davis still feels that way. Yeah. <sighs> Moving on here to the game, America's game of the week. Was between, I mean, these two teams could be like 0 and 9, and somehow they'd still put both of these teams in a matchup together on national television. Um, and somehow it would still be, it would still come down to the end, too. Yeah. The Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, two things are really, well, really three things. Aaron Rodgers looked to be somewhat of his old self, which was nice to see. Christian, the emergence of Christian Watson is nice to see as well because. If he could stay healthy and be on the field, I'm pretty sure he would be Aaron Rodgers' number one target. And the Dallas Cowboys defense uh, letting us down. They were – did they play last week or were they on a bye last week? They were on a bye last week, right? They were. So now we're talking about a team that gave up 29 points to Justin Fields two weeks ago and kind of didn't look that great. Now they gave up 31 points and lost to the pretty hapless – Green Bay Packers. So, you know, we went from praising Dan Quinn's defense to maybe there might be some flaws in there. You know, I know it's only two games and, you know, not to overreact, but, you know, if this continues to become a trend, this is a division that is, I mean, it it already feels like it's too far gone for the Dallas Cowboys, but, you know, now we're getting close to, you know, are they going to end up third in their division at the end of the year? Did we really think that, you know, that the Giants are going to continue this play? But, you know, if the Giants win a game here or there and the Dallas Cowboys continue to lose, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, hey, now they might even miss the playoffs. And I know I'm talking wild right now, but but like these are the questions you have to ask after two bad performances against two not so great offenses. Now this is Justin Fields that we're talking about two weeks ago where it was like, <laughs> it's still cute that he's running around on the Dallas Cowboys. Like, Oh yeah. You know, and Aaron Rodgers, who hasn't thrown a touchdown in two weeks throws for 200 yards and three touchdowns and looks like his old self against your defense. It's cause for concern. Yeah. Look what he did against the lions, that terrible defense one week ago, they couldn't do anything. And all of a sudden they can do this against the Cowboys defense. Why can the Cowboys never get these two right at the same time? Why can they never have the offense working at the same time as the defense? Every single year, it's one or the other. 
uh, I, especially under Mike McCarthy. So that's that's going to be the concern is, is are you ever going to be able to get both of these two two units on track at the same time? The big storyline for me out of this game. Now, the Cowboys will be fine, I think. Um, you know, if they go and beat the I don't know. I don't know who they play next week, but if they go and beat the Giants on Thanksgiving, uh, they're in good shape. They're in good shape no matter what, because then they officially clinch the tiebreaker over the Giants, which means if they end up in a head-to-head tie in the wild card, they're going to be ahead of them. Uh, that's pretty significant. They essentially can't miss the playoffs if they are, if they manage to beat the Giants, unless both of them really collapse. You know what's funny? It, we we thought at the beginning of the year when they announced those Thanksgiving games, we were like, oh, God, the Giants and the Cowboys. And now it's like, oh, shit, the Giants yeah. and the Cowboys. Like, And Patriots and Vikings looks really good, too. Yeah. At night. And I know the Patriots aren't that great, but uh, we we already know the Vikings are going to play a close game. They're not blowing anybody out. So we know, Patriots we know are a playoff game right now. And the only uh, the only lopsided game on Thanksgiving is Bills and Lions. But hey, you know, Josh, a chance to see Josh Allen play that's fine because there have been past years where that twelve thirty slot was like Chase Daniel and uh, I think David Bluff started one year for yes. the. Uh, it was only two years ago, I think. Yeah. Yep. For Matthew Stafford. Oh. Uh, so we'll, we will gladly take Josh Allen. Although, watch after I said that, watch his he's going to aggravate his elbow injury or something. <laughs> we're going to see Case Keenum in there. Case Keenum and Jared Goff on Thanksgiving. And Jared Goff gets injured, and then like I, I don't even know who their back I don't even know who their backup is. Yeah, it's, I think it's it, it's either Tim Boyle or or still David Bluff. I don't even know if I'm saying. Oh this. God, I really hope it's Tim that. Boyle because that Maybe sounds David even worse. Anyway, let's just hope that doesn't happen. But. Um, the bigger story for me is just, is this a breakthrough for the Packers or no? We're probably going to find out quickly because they play Thursday night against the Titans. So, yeah, you know, if they come out and they beat Dallas and then they come out and beat Tennessee. Yeah, especially if they score something like 24 or something. Against yeah, the against that defense that, you know. Yeah, If it's 16 to 10, I don't know if I'd believe in them. I don't think I would. But if they can actually score some points, you know. There's there's reason then to believe, and they'd be pretty close to a playoff spot. Although the the wild card is going to be tough now. Yeah, the wild card is going to be all jumbled up over there, especially yeah. for that last spot. You're going to have like you're going to have like a team in twelfth place in the NFC still like somehow in, in contention for a, for a playoff spot. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. But uh, the the next game, the second to last game that we have to talk about, the Arizona disappointing Arizona Cardinals against the disappointing LA Rams. And I'm not going to lie, Dan. All I saw was Kyler Murray was questionable. Immediately picked the Arizona Cardinals. I turned on that game in like the third quarter. Didn't even know Matthew Stafford wasn't playing. Didn't even know. I was like, oh my God, it's John Walford against um, Colt McCoy. And why didn't I know about this sooner? Because I stressed that pick for so long and then I was like, ah, I might as well just go with the Cardinals and didn't even know that. that. So if you think the pick is even better because I didn't know that Matthew Stafford was, wasn't playing. So, Right, but you don't get, you don't get any extra. No, I, I don't get any extra points. It's just a pat on the back for myself. But, I mean, I, I mean this was like the mid-off of the week. Like, like I, I, I don't even know really what to say about this. It's two backup quarterbacks. I guess the big thing is Cooper Cup getting injured. I, well, I think the big thing is that the Rams are done. Well, they're I, done. We knew that. No, last it, week. I mean, it, it's not even like they can sneak in. Like they are done. They have the same record as the Lions. 
And now you take Cooper Cup out of there for a few weeks, even though they say he avoided a major injury. If he misses two games, three games, they're done. Dan, this is what we wanted to see. I kind of hope he misses a couple games because I want to see. I think we're going to. I want to see who the hell Matthew Stafford. I mean, get, yo, I'm going to call it now. Fire up Brendan Skarowak as, as a flex play in, in fantasy football because he's a white receiver and Matthew Stafford will find him for at least one touchdown at some point. It's just, it's just how it's going to work. But I'm genuinely curious to see how their offense operates without without Cooper Cup because he legitimately is the entire offense. So it's going to be interesting to see. For the Arizonas, I mean, we can't really say anything about these two teams except for the Rams are done because it was two backup quarterbacks playing. But. But. And that's a big but. Dan, I'm going to let you take away this because this was your idea first. Is it possible that Colt McCoy is – uh, I'll put it lightly, not much of a downgrade over Kyler Murray right now. In terms because of the money? Cardinals, yes. Uh, the Cardinals, if, if, you know, if you showed me all the offensive stats for the Cardinals and didn't tell me who the quarterback was, this looks like it would be a Kyler Murray game, if even that. Colt McCoy looked like he had full command of that offense. Uh, it, it wasn't perfect. Colt McCoy will never be perfect. He's Colt McCoy. He's a backup for a reason. Although I do think he's probably earned himself another five years in the NFL because he's he's four and two over his last six months with two different teams since 2020. I mean, sometimes as a backup quarterback, that's all you need to do. Uh, but is it possible that Colt McCoy and Kyler Murray are not that far apart right now in terms of production? Uh, they didn't look like they were that different yesterday. You know, I've actually said it for the last couple of years. Why is it always – see, this is fully what I expect from Baker Mayfield in like three years. You know, why is it always the really, really high draft picks that never work out as a, st- as a starter always somehow become elite backup quarterbacks? Elite. Like, I'm, I mean, every time Colt McCoy enters a game for whatever team that he's played on after the Cleveland Browns, I'm like – they have a legitimate shot to win. Didn't he beat the Seahawks in Seattle with the Giants? Like that, was, that was an unbelievable win. That that was one of those games where people, I think, uh, you know, I, I did the fan vote and like 90 plus percent of people picked the Seahawks with Daniel Jones out. He he beat the Seahawks and they were they were they were good. They were a playoff team that year. He beat the Seahawks um, in Seattle in like in December when the Giants looked like they actually had a shot to win a terrible NFC East. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, like, and he, 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 it's not like they didn't throw the ball at all either. He actually threw the ball around a little bit. Yeah. Like every time that he enters a game, I have like full blown confidence in any team that he's commanding. And I feel like it's the same thing with any elite, like any elite quarterback that just didn't work out. Like even remember when, um, uh, uh, Blaine Gabbert would enter a game at one point. It's like, wow. Like he actually is a good backup. It, it's like, I don't get it with these quarterbacks who just can never cut it as a starter, but they somehow like become elite backups. But I feel like this has been the common trend with Colt McCoy for a while. If now I think this is maybe me being biased because I don't like Kyler Murray. I think that they have a legitimate shot of being a better contender with Colt McCoy than Kyler Murray. I know it's a wild statement to say, but at the same time, 
you cannot justify that. If Kyler Murray is healthy with the amount of money that you paid him compared to the amount of money that you're paying Colt McCoy and the fact that they're, what, four and six, and I know that they're still technically in it, but this is not a playoff team by any means, by any means. Uh, this is a team that literally just cut their leading rusher in Eno Benjamin like three hours ago. Like, yeah, cut him. I'm didn't not, didn't not cut looking, him. I'm not looking for a benching. Just uh, just raising a thought. No, I, I, I know, but it, it, it's such an interesting thought, too. And, like, it makes me think that it's very possible, but there's just no justification for it in terms of price tag. But it is a, a fun thing to think about. Like, hey, this is a $250 million quarterback sitting behind a bust first-round pick from freaking 15 years ago. Like, it, it's, it's so, something really – it's like a Geno Smith, except on a lesser scale. So, who, so who's going to sign Colt McCoy to be their starter in the offseason? The, the fighting Jeff Saturdays. <laughs> he, his pass rating last year over um, – I think it, it says eight games here, but I think it was three starts – was 101.4. And yesterday it was ninety six point five. So he's he's going to be around for a little while. Uh, how old is how old is Colt McCoy? Uh, he's up there. He's uh he's thirty six. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe he did buy himself another five years in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I yeah, mean, listen, Mark Brunel was a backup quarterback until two thousand nine. So yeah, I thought thirty four, thirty five. So maybe I'll say three or four years more. But uh, no. that's six. that. Six years. <laughs> We're going to go one higher. Last game on the slate was last night, and I'll be honest with you, Dan. I think I watched like the I watched the first quarter of this game purely for fantasy purposes because I needed – well, this is a big game for me here, Dan. I am one game out of first place. If I win, I clinch a playoff spot at – I would be seven and three. I would clinch a playoff spot and move into first place. But I needed a combined 32 points from Austin Eckler and Miles Sanders. Very, very doable. But Austin Eckler didn't play that great. So now I need 20 points from Miles Sanders tonight. Don't know if I'll get that. But regardless, whatever, I digress. That was really the only reason why I was watching it. And my opponent had DeAndre Carter, who, of course, scored a touchdown you know, But uh, <laughs> on the first drive of the game. But this was... Like, I fell asleep around halftime, and the, the score at halftime was, what, 16-10, right? It was 16-10 uh, like Chargers. And I woke up, and I was expecting, like, 35, 30, you know, so, and I'm like, 22 to 16. I'm like, did Justin Herbert get hurt? I'm like, what happened in the second half? The San Francisco 49ers just clamped down on the defensive side. That's really what it was. Yeah, this was the this was the better team, uh, just being patient and and overtaking the Chargers at the end of the game. Um, it, it's still it's still true that the Chargers just don't have enough, and it's not their fault. I saw people this week on Twitter. Um, I think it, it actually might have been a segment that Dan Orlovsky did where he said, "Are the Chargers wasting Justin Herbert?" Um, and the answer is no, because they they went out and got a good team. They put put they put together a good roster. It's the injuries. Everybody's gotten hurt. And to be honest, I think there are some situations where Justin Herbert could play better. I think he could step up a little more. But it almost seems like Tua Tagovailoa was the better pick for Miami. No, than no, no, no. That, see that that's the thing is if we took away <laughs> Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, 
from Listen, I'm pretty sure if Justin, I'm pretty sure if Justin Herbert had those two receivers, he'd throw for like seven thousand yards. A season. I, I think I think the league would be over. Um, McKeenan Allen cannot make it back from that hamstring injury, and Mike Williams is hoping to be back. What an old fart! I, he, you know what? I didn't realize he played a few weeks ago. I, I looked at it. I thought he had been out since week one. Yeah. Apparently. He, sorry, everybody, if you knew this, he played against the Seahawks, and then he, yeah. he aggravated it or whatever. Yeah, well, uh. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I never knew he actually made it back. Um, but I, I, I continue to think that uh, they just don't have, they don't have the personnel to 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 win really anything meaningful this year. They're going to get wiped out probably by the Chiefs next week. We all know it, even if they play it close, because sometimes they play those games closely, even when they're not good enough. Uh, they'll, they'll probably lose, and then at that point, if they lose, they're five and five. They're they're going into week eleven out of a playoff spot and at serious risk of falling even further out. The best part about it is that they'll always end up in second place in the AFC West because the other two teams are straight buns, so it doesn't yeah. even matter. Except but, for last year, yeah. Well, I mean, it. this year, I mean, it's just horrible. But uh, yeah, I, I, and you know what's funny too? Justin Herbert can never get over five hundred in his career. It's it's been a consistent struggle like every week. It's it never at any point in Justin Herbert's career has he been over five hundred as a starter. Now I know that that really that's a meaningless stat because wins are a team stat. It's not really a quarterback stat. I mean, we can go back into the eighties and nineties and say Archie Manning was actually the best quarterback to lead an atrocious one in fifteen football team. You know, like we could say that. But I mean. It, you just, I got a feel for him because there are some throws that he made last night, Dan, that I was just like, wow. A couple throws that he made, like one of them was to uh, Josh Palmer on the left side down to about 20 yards downfield. It was an incredible throw over two defenders. Another great throw to Gerald Everett on the right side. Like he Granted, Gerald Everett had to snag it out of the air, but it was the only spot that he could put it. Where no, where no defender would get it. Like he is incredible. He's absolutely incredible, and I can't help but think that we haven't even still seen the true potential of Justin Herbert because of just everyone around him gets hurt. Like it's it's insane, and I thank God, and I'm sure that Chargers fans thank God that he doesn't get hurt either, because then you'd really be up shit's creek without a paddle. Because at least having Justin Herbert, regardless of the personnel around him, at least. Every game he starts gives you a legitimate chance to win a football game. Yeah, and that's why it was an interesting matchup for one reason. The 49ers pretty much had every advantage except for the quarterback position. Yeah. The Chargers no. clearly had the advantage. And you know, I don't need we don't need to I don't need to come on here and tell people that quarterback is the most important position. Are you saying that Jimmy Garoppolo is less handsome than Justin Herbert? Never, is that what you're never, saying? Never, never. Okay. All right. I just never wanted to that. I just wanted to make sure. Maybe that's why the 49ers still pulled out the win. I, I mean, um, listen, between between McCaffrey and <laughs> uh, between Nick Bosa, McCaffrey, Fred Warner, and Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean they, it's gotta be the most handsome team in all of football. I, and yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, no <laughs> argument here for me. And the good news is for them, they're starting to also win these football games, uh, which has taken them to a half game of the NFC West lead. And it looks like they, well, it's not, doesn't just look like they literally do control their own fate. They, they have already have a win over the Seahawks. They play them again later in the season. They can overtake them before that. Uh, not something I want to see happen. I'm on team Gino. But it looks like the 49ers are healthy enough 
talented enough that they're going to get that done. Um, I, I'm, I'm almost kind of happy for the 49ers because they've been like the Chargers where these injuries just hit them endlessly. And earlier in the season, they dealt with more injuries. And now they've, they've kind of gotten everyone back. Not everybody, but almost everybody. You, you know, Matt Williams, you know, all those guys. Yeah. I mean, I think yesterday was the first time that uh, the team was like legitimately almost fully healthy because, you know, Elijah Mitchell was back. Debo Samuel was back and healthy. And, you know, every, you know, the offense itself was kind of um, fully healthy. But yeah. uh, just a quick side topic one guy I got to feel bad for is Jason Verrett because the guy is healthy. It, when he's healthy, he's very, very good. But the guy has probably had more season-ending injuries than anyone in NFL history. I mean, this has got to be like his fifth or sixth season-ending injury. I feel terrible for the guy. But the one thing that separates for me these two teams is that the Chargers deal with decimating injuries and don't make the playoffs or don't look that particularly great game to game. But the San Francisco 49ers, dating back to last year, deal with devastating injuries and somehow still make the playoffs and go quite far in the playoffs as well. I, I don't know what that is. It could be luck. It could be just the way that you're coached. But, I mean, I, I think even if these two teams are injured, I think far and away the San Francisco 49ers have the advantage over over the, the Chargers. Yeah, and I think coaching is part of that. Uh, yeah. Brandon Staley, I don't think anyone's really convinced by Brandon Staley. He's not Nathaniel Hackett, but I don't think he's, he's convincing as a coach. Uh, but Kyle Shanahan knows exactly what he's doing. And – the most important thing for Kyle Shanahan is he's incredible at building a staff. I mean, look at all yeah. these guys that have already come off of the 49ers staff, including uh, Mike McDaniel, Robert Sala, uh, Mike LaFleur, who probably, be, you know, if the Jets keep this up, he could be a head coach at some point. Um, and D'Amico Ryans now, who's on the yeah. defense staff. Uh, not only is it is it just Kyle Shanahan, it's the entire coaching staff. And Brandon Staley doesn't have a, a – a great offensive staff. His offensive coordinator is play callers, Joe Lombardi, who Chargers fans hate because they, they just continually draw uh, the wrong plays. And even when they make the right decision to go for it in certain situations, their play calling is terrible. Uh, so I honestly do think that that's a huge part of the difference between these two. Let me ask you a question. Last thing I'm going to say before we, with the outro. Now, if you're dealing with a shitty play caller, right? And you're as talented as Justin Herbert. Maybe this is me just being an ass. But if I'm going in that huddle and I don't like the play, I'm not running that play. I'm not running. And until you bench me, bench, go ahead. Go ahead. Bench me. See what happens. You know what I yeah, mean? Who's going to win a power struggle between Justin Herbert and the offensive coordinator? That's what I'm saying. It's going to be Justin Herbert every time. Like, and I'm that's why I'm surprised that, like, I, Maybe it's because uh, my, Matt LaFure calls the plays for Green Bay that like Aaron Rodgers has come out every week and just been like, yeah, I don't really like the play calling, but like nothing happens because it's like, well, tough shit. I'm the head coach. You know what I mean? But like here where it's like, if I'm Justin Herbert and it's like third and 12 halfback draw, like screw that. Like I'm running, I'm running, I'm running four verts. You know what I mean? Like screw, like I, that, that's just me. If I'm as talented as Justin Herbert and I don't like the play, I'm just changing it. And and well, at the end of the day, who are you going to pick, Joe Lombardi or Justin Herbert? So Yeah, well, I mean, Justin Herbert has a reputation of not really being a very assertive guy. Um, he's, he's very quiet. Yeah, he's a but California if I, dude. If I yeah. were him, if I were him, if they fire Brandon Staley, which 
I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. It probably depends on the rest. If they really tank the rest of the year and fall apart, it may happen. Whenever they need to hire a new head coach or if they want to hire a new offensive coordinator, which is more likely, if even though he's kind of soft-spoken, I, I feel like it would be best for him to see if he said, I want to be involved in this hire. Yeah, absolutely. I, he, it's, it, it would go against everything in his body. I truly believe that because he, he, he seems like a very, you know, I'll do my job, you do your job type of guy. But it's not like they're going to be like, oh, well, now we got to get rid of you because you're making all these demands. No, you've got the power with the Chargers. He should definitely go up there and say, you know, if they're hiring an offensive coordinator, include me in this. I want to be involved in this. Let's yeah. pick them together. So I, I think that should be pretty standard. If, if, you, if you have a knowledge of someone is your franchise quarterback, yes. I, think, I think that should be pretty standard, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Because, yeah. well, I mean, you know, you don't have to go into – into that, but I, I think it should be pretty standard. But listen, all I'm going to say is, if I was Justin Herbert, I'm going rogue. I'm just, I'm calling, I'm calling my plays. But I mean, we knew that we wanted to get into a lot. I think that we did some great work with some sub topics as well. We talked about some things that we really haven't been able to talk about. Like this is the first time that we've mentioned like an MVP race at all this entire year. So I'm glad that we got to talk about some of that stuff. I mean. I'm already putting my I'm already putting my ring my ring my hat in the ring uh, for a head coaching job for next year if the Fighting Jeff Saturdays somehow make some kind of run. So I'm just put, I'm just saying anyone who's listening and you know an NFL exec, just just throw me a bone and I'm sure I'll get you to one in sixteen or something. I'll uh, coach Justin Herbert if that job's open. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'll literally just be like, dude, just run whatever you want. It's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. Just run whatever. It's just make right. it look like I'm calling the plays. You know? I guarantee I'd win at least like three or four games like that. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we really appreciate the support. has been great for the episodes, especially on the YouTube side. I mean, uh, the Spotify and Apple side, always going to do great. Thank you guys so much. But YouTube has sort of kind of been great we're going to focus a little bit more on that in the upcoming weeks with clips and shorts and everything kind of things that i promised but dropped the ball on as usual um but i i will try my best to get those out there as often as i can so uh dan thank you for for having me on again for week 18 really appreciate it let's do it again next week yeah, I've decided to bring you back for episode number 19 uh you know if you'll if you'll join me oh absolutely <laughs> Yeah, no, thank, thanks everybody for listening along. Uh, this was a, a little, little longer one than usual, but half of it was that Vikings and Bills game. Yeah, so, I, we talked about that for legitimately like 30 minutes. Yeah, there, there's, and, and I think we had to. No regrets about that yeah. one. Um, I'm assuming next week we won't have a game as good as the Bills and Vikings, but you truly never know in this league. Uh, in fact, I want to I wanna say that I think the the fan picks this week for every week, every game in the NFL went 5-8. and eight. Um, and they were four and eight before the 49ers beat the Chargers. So that's how that's how unpredictable things were this week. We went a little better than that. We we picked a few of those mild surprises. So pat yourself on the back. I think uh, before we end, uh, I just want to. I mean, Dan is just being nice. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm only, still the only four from the day games that that fans act, that majority of fans. Of course, you could have picked yeah. something different. Whoever you are. But the only four games that a majority got right were the uh, Giants over Texans, Dolphins over Browns, 
Titans over Broncos and Chiefs over Jaguars. Yeah, I'm eight and five so far this this week. Presumably nine and five if the Eagles win. So yeah, I'm seven and six. So I'm trailing a little bit behind you. So I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm coming I'm for assuming you. Assuming we both pick the Eagles tonight. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm sure I'll have a change of heart at like 8.14 and make a terrible decision or something. But thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that you come back and join us again for week 19 of the NFL season.